0: What is up, everybody? Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 119. Speak and Destroy is a podcast featuring interviews about Metallica, and I am your host, Ryan J. Downey. My guest this episode is the awesome Ted Aguilar of legendary Bay Area Thrashers' Death Angel. I just want to remind you that the best ways to support this podcast, if you enjoy it, are to leave five-star ratings and write nice little reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and you can also support the show on Patreon. Just look for Speak and Destroy. You can keep up with me, find all of my social media accounts and all the different ways to follow the show at ryanjdowney.com. Here it is, my conversation with Ted Aguilar of Death Angel. This is Speak and Destroy. Oh, <laughs> the fun part of this is um getting to know people at all and getting to know people better and and it's just like a I mean really the genesis of it was as simple as Metallica is always coming up in conversation and Dude, um, they're a
1: household name. How could you not yeah. bring up when it either comes to metal or rock or arena rock? they're just the band. (laughs) yeah
0: yeah it it became a bit of a running joke with a couple of artists that i uh was interviewing regularly for different things yeah it was like you know countdown till Downey introduces metallica into the conversation
2: Uh (laughs) oh this reminds me of when
0: metallica did this or whatever you know and then i was like this feels like a podcast
2: (laughs) you 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 know.
1: know what here's the thing i was i was thinking about it yesterday you know i've talked with people you know how they say nirvana and grunge killed metal I I I don't think so because Nirvana, was, uh, Nevermind came out in ninety. The Black Album came out in ninety-one. So, and,
0: and I think more specifically, it was hair metal that died, and it died desi- it, it died a, uh, a deserving death. And yeah, and I think I think Nevermind was also ninety-one, but I no, think it
1: was ninety, I believe.
0: But you, let's, but well, let's, either, let's either way, you, you can argue. <laughs> you can argue uh, that both nirvana and the black album really just washed away you know all the poser bands yeah <laughs> which yeah, but, was
1: necessary it's funny but the black album launched them into the stratosphere but shut the door on all the thrash bands i think
0: yeah isn't that interesting yeah. i wonder i wonder why that is cuz yeah cuz thrash certainly struggled in the 90s before hitting any sort of revival you, and never got to those commercial peaks obviously
1: i i could give you my opinion on that, please. Nobody in the thrash band had a large Zurich,
2: hmm.
1: yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> man, I, I like mean, it. Shots right? fired. I love that we're kicking off that early, dude, this I mean is, um
1: it's, it's no dish to any of the thrash bands, but no no
0: it's a it's a it's a uh. It's a celebration of Lars, which is, I think, overdue.
1: And I think so, too. Dude. I mean, I used to be one of those haters until I really started to read interviews and, you know, look at YouTube footages because now you could see everything on YouTube. You know, yeah. you know looking, reading um, So What Magazine when mm-hmm. they had So What Magazine, you know, I mean, Stefan Shirazi is really good at bringing out things that no journalism, no journalists could bring out of them. You know, and having to see the insight on that, you're like, Lars deserves a lot of credit, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Kirk, you mentioned Kirk. Kirk is a big contributor to the thrash scene. I mean, he showed Gary Holt his first chord.
0: Yeah, we uh, talked. I was, had the pleasure of having Gary on the show, and we spoke yeah. about that very thing. He said, even to this day, the way he holds a pick is the way Kirk showed him to hold a pick.
1: See, you know, so I mean, it was the back. right timing everything timing whatever was in the air in the 80s or what they were just we could dude we could go on if you want to get yeah. in depth about oh, we'll go,
0: yeah we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna dive in for sure and in fact yeah. and, and put a pin in this because I'll, I'll come back to it later yeah but uh obviously prior to you being being in the band but certainly around the band the first i heard of death angel was in a metal magazine reading that kirk hammett had produced a demo
1: the killer's one demo
0: the bay area and that was that was the first And yeah, and we we can, and obviously we're going to dig into all things Death Angel, but I want to start before that, the way I like to start all of these, which is to ask you, you know, what was your first introduction to music in terms of like falling in love with it? And and at what point did you realize, oh, this isn't just something I love, this is something I need to be part
1: of. I need to like participate somehow. That's a good question. I have an older sibling. I have an older brother. Uh, He's four or five years older than I am. So you know, I always looked up to him and he was like hung out with he had friends and when you're young and you have an older brother and he had some cool friends, you go, Oh man, yeah, I want to hang out with you. But you know, then again you're young, he's like, yeah it's a little brat. <laughs> <laughs> but but he had records, you know, of course, you know, him and his friends were listening to uh you what? said five years older? Yeah, about five yeah, years older. Exact same dif- difference between my older brother and I. Yeah. So, yeah so um five, four, four or five years older. Um you know, he had friends. He was listening to a lot of music, of course—Black Sabbath, Zeppelin, uh, Journey, all that stuff. You know, I remember seeing the Kiss Alive 2 in my house because he borrowed it from a friend. I just saw the the graphic; it was like awesome. But it was, you know, not like all the other people out there that Kiss inspired them. You know, Kiss didn't inspire me. I mean, I knew who they were. I saw the record. I, it's cool. I listened to Kiss Alive too. I go, oh, that's cool because it was new, but it felt like I didn't discover it. Like I, just, my my older brother and friends discovered all this music that I was listening to, so it wasn't until you know I got into music through him. So you know ACDC, uh, for those about to rock, Back in Black. I've heard all those albums and I love them. So music was like, just I love it. But it wasn't until Kill Em All that I discovered it. Because I discovered it, it, it was, my brother didn't go check this out. It was like, I found it on my own through yeah. neighborhood friends. They go, dude, you know, I've heard, you know, I discovered Kill em All. But then again, I heard about No Life Till Leather after, you know, Kill em All. I remember buying it, I think, used, if I could remember, when it came out in 83 at the Record Vault in San Francisco. Wow. So, You know, hearing that, I was blown away, like, what is this? Because, again, like I said earlier, my brother introduced me to, like, Zeppelin, Judas Priest, Maiden, Sabbath, all that. But when you see them, and he saw them all in concert, Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath, you know, all that. Those guys, they had this look and persona where it felt like it was impossible to reach. You get what I mean? yep like they look like theatrical
0: larger than life you larger know they than get life. on a jet and fly to a castle after the show
1: not only that yep. the stage setup, you know they were playing yeah. arenas and i was too young at the time to go see any of that show so you saw photos in magazines a hip parade or cream or whatnot and you saw these show like oh he, i hear stories when he comes back from a concert dude Tio had this dragon, this and that stage. Yeah. And yeah. Van Halen had all these marshals. They looked cool. You see them in magazines. You're like, that's awesome, but it seemed impossible to attain. You get what I mean? Yeah. With Metallica, not only did the music speak to me, but they just looked like regular dudes. Like, hey, man, they're wearing the same thing I'm wearing. You know what I mean? A rock shirt, ripped jeans, messed up sneakers. They weren't doing all the the studs, you know, the this whole image thing. So from there on, I was like, yeah, that's it. Then from there, I was discovering Venom, Merciful Fate, because they were talking about it. You see the shirt, Discharge, GBH, Misfits, any T-shirt they were wearing, who's that? I got to figure that out. So that's how I got into music. and But Metallica is the one that made me want to be what, I want to be that's amazing. They, they were the they were the the start band, like all right, this is the band.
0: did you have any awareness early on that this was also a local band?
1: Yes, I did. they go dude, they're from San Francisco, and they were like, What, but then again, you know eighty two I was ten years old at the time, yeah, um, I was too young to see any of that I, you know I've heard, Gosh, I, I
0: think we're the exact same age, uh, yeah. yeah,
1: um Born seventy Gener- two, generation X, uh, seventy three. Okay, so we're basically right. the same age. Yeah. Um, I heard they were a local band. You know, all then my brother heard about it. Then his friends, the neighborhood friends, they were getting more into the extreme, getting away from the Judas Priest and all that. Even though they were still listening to it, there's this new thing coming around. So they heard about it. They were going to the shows. Like I remember missing out on. 1985, New Year's Eve, Metallica, Exodus, Megadeth, and I guess Metal Church or something. Yeah, uh, I've, yeah. I've, I'm very familiar with that flyer. <laughs> yes, yeah. My brother went to that and I was like, dude, I want to go. But, you know, I was so young. You know what I mean? My yeah. mom wouldn't let me out of the house. She was very strict. Of course. So my brother got to go and I was bummed. And that night I heard, I'm, I'm pretty sure, I don't know if Gary told you, but Exodus stole the, the show. Yeah. From I've what heard I heard, heard. like they. Yeah. They killed it, but I was young. I was too young to go to that show, so I missed that, and I remember hearing stories of it. It was uh, Death Angel, Armored Saint, and Metallica, Red Lightning at the Kabuki that same year. I was bummed. I couldn't see that one. I've heard about it, but I was old enough to go see in 86 Metallica on the Master of Puppets with Ozzy Ultimate Sin. That was my first big concert, so so when we get into the whole Metallica thing, Master of Puppets is my favorite record because I saw him on that tour. Yeah. I do love Ride the Lightning. It's hard to compare, like, you know, which is the best one. It all depends. But for me, I saw him on that tour. If I would have saw him on Ride the Lightning, it might be a different story. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and that gets into a thing that comes up often in conversation uh, for me, which is, you know, what I call time, place, and circumstance. Where We're so informed by... I had this realization literally 20 something years ago. I was having an argument with a uh, a friend and uh, about uh, Slayer and it was, I was, I was rain and blood and he was seasons seasons. And I was just like, seasons is a great record, but that's so, I've never heard anyone say it's the best Slayer record. That's so strange. Of course it's rain and blood. And then I realized in that conversation, seasons just happened to be the first Slayer record he got. it's like oh okay well that yeah and then i've ever since then i've been like there's an element of time place and circumstance of of who you are when you encounter a band and and how it strikes you and how it hits you and 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 once you get more immersed in music you can kind of have this larger view of like okay these are the best beatles records or these are the best stones records but this one's my favorite i know this one's culturally kind of the best but i like this one more because of what you know i i've and I think it's really fascinating, uh, you know, for that reason.
1: Well, music speaks to you. You know what I mean? It, it speaks to people differently. Some people, you know, for this reason, that album just speaks to them better than a previous album, even though they're both killer. Yeah. Excuse me. And, um, like, I'm sure, like, uh, I had this conversation. We had this conversation on tour bus, like, Mark and Rob are more ride the lightning guys because one they played with them <laughs> i guess yeah. they played with yeah. them they were there when the album came out they saw the shows and whatnot but i didn't get to see metallica until master so i have that connection to that album
0: yeah and it's interesting I, you know I've, I've had conversations with with friends who are, um you know less than 10 years younger than me right and they'll say uh you know all metallica fell off with the black album you know justice was their best album and i'll say my group of my small little group of metalhead friends my exact age and a little older they were all disappointed in justice what that's insane no way no, no, no. you know and it's just like dude it's all so much of it is you know because at that point a, a lot of uh my friends around the time justice came out is when they were discovering death metal and so okay for them it was kind of like ah oh, thrash is weak you know gotcha everything was I, all about I, morbid angel and ugh, you
1: know, gotta whatever, get to like, the extreme know. but you know yeah. what i as a Metallica fan, I never, you know, after the Black album, I gave it a break. But, you know, when Justice came out, I liked it. It didn't, the production didn't trick me out like as much as it did other people. I yeah. I said, whoa, this sounds different. But I was yeah. mainly listening to the songs.
2: Yeah. You
0: know I mean? And Dyer's Eve is a top 10 Metallica song for me. And obviously that's one Joe. I, I loved it. I mean, but I'm also, you know, I was uh, in the 90s, um, the uh, Load Reload Defender. In my uh in my group of friends. So
1: it's funny know, had with load that. and reload. Um, and this is my opinion, you know. Um, when I listened when I when load first came out, I saw the photo, I go, Oh, that's a trip. I yeah. put it on, I couldn't vibe off it. It didn't suck, but I just maybe mentally I wasn't there, maybe I was still kind of stuck in the black album era, like hoping they're gonna release something like that. So same with reload, you know, but after many years I went to revisit those albums and I I think there's there's good songs on it they're not strong albums but there's great songs I think as I got older I gave it a chance but as a fan I'm not into it but as a musician I respect it
0: that that's a great position to have and and yeah when Logue first came out Yeah, the "Until It Sleeps" music video was my first exposure to it, and yeah, that was like, "Whoa, this is like a Nine Inch Nails video or something, or Depeche Mode or what?" Which are bands I love, but it was like, you know. Um, And I, what put me off the record for a long time was "Ain't My Bitch" being the first song. Dude,
1: that's
2: my favorite song off the
0: record. (laughs) Wow, that's hilarious! I could that was I literally just couldn't get past it. I was like, "What is this?" and then i went back to it but it, it didn't take me long though maybe about a year and um and again you know outlaw torn and bleeding me those are to me those are just you know those are the songs i send people to yeah that maybe dismissed the records at the time and haven't revisited i'm like go go listen to this song the outlaw torn go listen to this
1: i think outlaw Come torn's later, good you know? bleeding is good until it sleeps and ate my bitch hero of the day man i mean ah I, I'm not into it. Yeah, you know I mean, isn't it weird that it kind I, of
0: turns into a ride the lightning song at the end? Yeah, but, <laughs> but by know, the time it, you get there, you're like,
2: what?
1: It's like I said, yeah, I, yeah. I don't think music, I don't think the music sucks. It's just some songs I'm not into. It's fair enough. The, the first five albums, I mean, people go, yeah, they were great. Don't get me wrong, but that era is gone. I'm glad I lived it. I'm glad I bought the albums when it came out in that era. I'm glad I saw them for Master Puppet on. I wish I would have saw them kill them all in that era but it's gone man you just gotta i I accepted it you know at first as a fan i'm like that sucks but dude i'm glad i lived it it's it's that era is done this era is here enjoy it for what it is if you can't get into it move on if you're into it cool if not it is what it is man
0: and i've come to understand that you know most bands with the exception of you know acdc motorhead that are that are great at uh you know repetition Yeah, figured out a way to make that cool most of the great bands that i truly truly love you know metallica being at the top of that list have different eras and eventually you you have a catalog where you can look at these different eras and and um i love that with an artist you know where you can sort of chart an evolution and and look at these chapters in time but you don't necessarily understand that that's what's happening in the moment as it's happening it kind of takes that benefit of hindsight of oh here's this catalog of of exactly. albums kind of exactly. you know, testament's a band like that i think there's different testament eras you know yeah different, i mean yeah there's a lot of great bands and i you know i think the beatles are kind of the gold standard of that and it's it's really crazy when you think about all the different eras the beatles had stylistically aesthetically image wise and then you remember it was 10 years <laughs> All of that was packed into yeah. 10 years. You know what Metallica or U2 or somebody packed into 40.
1: But you don't know that until time passes. Yeah. And you you look back, you know, so like I said, as a fan, I didn't get it. But as a musician, I respect it. Yeah. So, I love you know, Not only musically, but. How they run their band, you know, it's very oh, inspiring. Yeah.
0: That's a that's a that's a whole conversation in and of itself that I think has <laughs> most, uh, you know, uh, by and large, m- any, you know, most rock bands of any subgenre, you really can't go wrong if you ask yourself, what would Metallica do in this situation? <laughs>
2: Dude, <laughs>
0: whether it's I, how to sequence an album, <laughs> yeah. whether it's, uh, I mean, just down to any, any side of the business side, the creative side, the, uh, yeah. And obviously it's, it's been Lars in the driver's seat for that. And even the load reload, uh, image era that is, you know, often maligned where, James kind of took a step back and said, I'm going to let Lars and Kirk lead. Yeah. What that record cover is going to look like, what the band photos will look like. Uh, one could argue, I mean, a lot of their peers disappeared commercially. And whatever foresight, whatever attitude, whatever mood, whatever interests Lars and Kirk had at that time that they put in the forefront and head- headlining Lollapalooza and whatever, it worked. I mean, did, did load sell 10 million in the U S like the black album? No, but it sold five,
1: <laughs> you know, like that's still when a lot for, of their
0: peers were cracking enough for them to
1: be relevant. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, um, dude, I mean, people think they sold out. I, I get it. Like, again, I said, I get it, but I kind of, um, would the load era, I kind of, maybe this is a wrong analogy, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's like kiss. Everyone loved Kiss with makeup. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Kiss, this and that, blah, blah, blah. As soon as they take the makeup off, no one liked them anymore. You get what I mean? Yeah. But they had to to evolve, or else if they would have kept going with makeup.
0: It was diminishing returns, and they had a resurgence when they took the makeup off. It gave them a
1: new kickstart. Exactly, and it's funny. And I think Vinnie Vincent wrote some of their best songs. It's funny you say that, (laughs) because our drummer Will Carroll is a big Kiss fan, and he never gave up on them. And, you know, there was... We we've talked about it on the road. I go, he goes, dude, you gotta listen to Lick It Up. I go, dude, the reason why I couldn't get into the non makeup era kiss when they when I was there watching M T V when they first yeah. got the makeup. Yeah, I was man. I'm sure you saw it too.
0: Yeah. JJ JJ Jackson.
1: Yeah. R I P It was the videos they released at first. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get into. You know, like Lick It Up, yeah, it's all right. I mean, mm-hmm. But they had killer songs on that record. Yeah. You get what I mean? Yeah. Like asylum i like tears are Fallen, but there's better songs on there you know what i mean yeah i guess and that, that video for tears are Fallen is pretty you know paul swinging on the vine and yeah it's, <laughs> but, <laughs>
0: it's a little rough
1: but i understand that's what was going on at the yeah. time they had to evolve i mean whether you like it or not they if they would have kept going with the makeup i don't think they would be as big as they are now yeah same with Metallica, they had to evolve. And even before, right after Justice, we've read it in interviews, it's documented. Lars said himself,
2: we got to write shorter
1: songs. We want to, we've done enough of this. Let's do something. Let's let's keep Metallica, but the meat and potatoes and hence the Black Album. I don't think a gun was pointed to their head by their label and said, you no, need right. to write some radio songs. Never. They did it on their own. So I think the it only was, time that ever happened was the song Escape. And that was on Rebel Eye. Dude. <laughs> it was the only time the label said that song, you gotta right? do
0: this and they're like we'll try it and then they didn't play that song for decades
1: they only played it once yeah yeah but you get what i mean absolutely i don't think
0: they were ever driven by that and it, and yeah and also it's like they had reached the top of the mountain with uh you know long epic songs packed with dozens of riffs and it's like you go from you come out of justice where every song has like you know 137 riffs in it and then you get yeah inner sandman one riff yeah <laughs> one riff for
1: but entire
0: song
2: they had to do Brilliant. it and i, and I respect yeah. them for it you know Absolutely. I mean? but, you
1: know i'm trying to see from a fan's perspective i get why they don't like the black album because that era meant so much to them they're growing up this is my band this is blah 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 we're gonna take yeah. over the world you know they're not posers or whatever but you know what uh, I heard a quote, you're going to get crucified for staying the same, or are you going to get crucified for trying something different? So Absolutely. do what feels best for you.
0: Absolutely. And I also thought, you know, there. Were, I remember there were interviews in the nineties where uh, there's one interview in particular that I was kind of laughing about looking back. And I'm sure Lars would laugh at it too, where he said um, he was never going to wear a pair of jeans again. This was like in the designer clothes and, you know, and uh, I, I really respected that during that time, that sort of attitude, because I looked at it where they were going like, look, we were pimply faced teenagers out to kill them all, you know, in our ripped jeans and sneakers and whatever. We are different people now. We've, we've evolved and grown up. And I remember saying to my friends at the time who would complain that Metallica cut their hair, I would yeah. nine, nine times out of 10, I would go, well, so did you exactly <laughs> what did I they'd be my you friends know. where we all had long hair at one point and we didn't in the 90s you know it's like we we don't want to it, it kind of gets into the thing with bands I think people don't necessarily understand this but it's like um, gosh there's this great essay and I always forget what it's called whenever I bring it up which is so dumb but it's basically about the um, one of the pitfalls of serialized storytelling is that you know at some point when you're telling the Superman story low if Lois Lane finds out he's Superman and they get married and Lex Luthor turns good and whatever all these things are that you do you eventually have to reset to that original scenario that Lois Lane doesn't know his secret identity yeah. that you know and it's a thing and it has to do with like our own mortality there's like all this psychology to it where uh you know it's the same reason Bart Simpson doesn't age you know and it, you know it's it, it I I think if we apply that same lens to bands we can begin to understand more like oh i want myself to grow and change but i want these things i love these people i love to stay frozen in the exact what to me was ever their perfect mode and that, man, that's a good one unfair, man. i haven't heard
1: I'm... it that's a good one yeah like i could change but you can't you yeah know? yeah
0: and i just started piecing that together you know in the last 24 hours honestly putting it in that same thing of a lot of great television shows, you know, in order to tell the best um, story, there there's sacrifices you have to make and dramatic stakes you have to have. But I remember, I don't know if you watched Sons of
1: Anarchy. No, I haven't. I've heard a lot about it. I'm a Game of Thrones dude. It
0: was, so there was a, a period, without spoiling it in case you ever do watch it, there was a period like uh, season three or so, Where it was like all this stuff was kind of coming to a head and there were a couple of conclusions that seemed inevitable. And then it was like the writers figured out a way right at the end of the season to kind of reset everything the way we're familiar with. Bring it back. Yeah. And it's like, ah, and you understand from a commercial perspective why they have to do that. Yeah. But from a storytelling perspective, it's like, oh man, you know, you figured out a way to keep these couple characters around that really had to go. Yeah. story-wise and I understand why you did it and it's like oh and I'm as a fan I'm so glad these actors and characters are still gonna be here but you know and that's um that's a difficult thing you know because you uh you ultimately tell a better story by doing the change and the sacrifice but um
1: you have to evolve I mean Slayer to. evolved from Rain and Blood to yeah. South of Heaven absolutely you get absolutely. What I mean if they would have did another fast record 30 minutes long people are just gonna go well you're trying to copy rain and blood or you're it's starting your
0: follow-up to rain and blood with a slow song. People don't recognize this now, but at the time I was, I was lucky enough to be a fan at that point and buy South of heaven on street date. Like that was monumental. I was ballsy, you know, like,
1: yeah, but
0: a slow it, it's song.
1: It's yeah. You know, I get it from a musician standpoint, like why repeat? Of course, we're going to have some fast numbers. Cause we're that band, but we need to evolve. And come on, yeah. like the last song on Rain and Blood, raining blood. Then South of Heaven is, a hell, but it was dark.
0: Oh you know, yeah, yeah. Oil. I mean, there's no denying. There's no denying that it was sinister. And uh, yeah, there's, and that's what's that's what's amazing is when you really kind of sit with, you know, the big swing. I I would I would rather a big swing and a miss most of the time than uh, safety. You know, yes, yeah. there's, there's playing a lot, it safe. Say. Yeah. Yeah,
1: um, Dude, I, that's what one of the things I I do love about Metallica—they take risk, big they risks. Yeah, chances on not only musically but everything surrounding Metallica. Absolutely. I mean, you know, people go—they don't give back. They give back a lot.
2: <laughs> you
1: know I mean? It's
0: it's insane. And this this is actually uh, and, and and I want to go back because I, I want to dig into your Please. music and stuff. But I but I do I this is something I've been dying to get into with someone because I haven't shaped an episode since it happened but when this new metallica record was announced there were a couple of people in the metal industry who started popping off on social media saying i hate when metallica puts out a new album because it, it essentially sucks up all the oxygen from all the other bands right this is uh one less opportunity for a magazine cover for a feature on a website you know all the websites are just going to write about metallica 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 for the next two years and that's so bad for everyone else and i was like and it's funny i'm at some point going to have um my buddy ben who was you know one of the guys who started and used to own metal sucks i'm gonna have him on the podcast soon because one of the things him and i were talking about was like dude it is 100 the opposite when metallica is active and has a new album cycle going it is the big wave lifting all the ships it is uh a sigh of relief for all the metal sites that they're gonna make their bottom line and get the clicks that they need and be able to have traffic and pay their bills uh because they know that you know metallica tools slipknot there's like a handful of of bands that you put in a headline that and that drives people to these sites to read about all these other bands. So that's just even the economics of it. It's it's really, sure, if if there were only, if the only places to get press were a couple of print magazines that have X number of pages, that argument would hold. But in today's sort of long tail world where there's an infinite amount of opportunities and places and Spotify playlists and whatever, having a Metallica song in that kick-ass metal playlist alongside of your song is great yeah. for your song. It's you great. Know? but that's to say nothing of going all the way back to like you were saying you got into kill them all you loved it and then because of the t-shirts they wore the interviews they did you discovered venom and merciful fate and and uh you know i have a misfits tattoo i'm a i was in a misfits tribute band for once upon a time i'm a all of my love of sam hayne danzig misfits is because of my metallica fandom you see what i mean cliff burton's tattoo because of you know it it, you know and go all the way down the list you know to whether it's diamond head or anti-nowhere league or budgie and, and that sort of stuff all the way through, you know, take, and, and uh, you know, I, I kind of was debating this back and forth on, on Twitter with someone who was, who was pretty vocal, uh, complaining about Metallica putting out new stuff and it's sucking up the oxygen. And one of the, the points that was made was uh, well, it's not like, uh, you know, they're taking Pantera and Five Finger Death Punch on tour. It's not like those bands need the help. And I'm like, just a few years ago, they took Bocasa on tour, a band, you know, from Scandinavia that had never left their country. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like yeah. Lars just happened to hear them. I think they might have even been unsigned. You know, it's like, so you can't, uh, you certainly can't accuse them of not lifting up smaller bands and promoting yeah. them and pushing them. And I, I can't think of any other Notable, notable you know, commercially successful band that has done so much for so many other bands, yeah, consistently from day one all the way through. I mean, who puts out a double album of covers, <laughs> you know? That <laughs> I mean, know, I would assume you know, King I'll, Diamond and Hank Sherman are probably paying their mortgages from being on a multi platinum, oh, oh, totally, album dude, totally, as songwriters. Yeah, you know, I was
1: talking to we had this, I had this discussion with a, a friend you probably know, Brian Lou,
0: yeah. I'm um, Brian. And he was begging like begging him to come on for literally five years. And he always says he was going to. And he
1: still has hey, he, we had a talk. He goes, hey, man, what Grammy, what Grammy award winning band plays Merciful Fate? <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Go, yeah, you're right. You know what I mean? So, I mean, they do a lot for bands. I get the argument where people go, they took five finger death punch and this and that, all this. And I thought about that. Maybe it's because they're relevant. I don't know. Whatever reasoning yeah. behind it is. It's yeah. it's their call, but they also took out bands like um, dude. They just played in Florida for Marsha Azula and Johnny Raven with Raven. Yeah. yeah, they could have picked any band, but they did that. Any yeah. band, a
0: an underplay that's gonna sell out in one second. They yeah, can put anyone on that they want, and they They, could,
1: they could do it themselves. And that but just happened. Raven. That's yeah. fresh. Yeah, and you know, I mean, Absolutely. so you know, we we could have this argument. We could talk about it. You know. At the end of the day, dude, I'll still defend them. You know, it's hard to turn Always. your back on them since you've been a fan since the first record.
0: Yeah. I, and I may, that,
1: not, I may not agree with what stuff they've done, but I respect it. So
0: I want to go back to young Ted and yes. getting into Kill them All. And uh and and like you said, I mean it's so important. One of the most important things about Metallica is a lot like punk rock and hardcore, uh, you know, which I Discovered hardcore after getting into thrash metal, but it really brought that immediacy and that that accessibility and that the barrier between audience and artist really fell to where, and especially by by the time I was going to hardcore shows where bands are playing on the floor, in like yeah. a BFW hall, and you're literally right there. But the idea that you would see, uh, you know, people in bands who looked like you, who who uh, sometimes were closer to your age. You yeah. know, it really changed the way that you looked at it as something you might be able to do yourself. What were your first steps? Because obviously, I mean, you were ten years old at that time. But yeah, what, what were your steps to eventually picking up an instrument?
1: Oh, uh, uh, again, it all I, I I credited everything to my older brother. Like, um, you know, he played an instrument. I wanted to play an instrument. You know, I've heard Metallica. I wanted to learn to play the song. So I've you know just fiddling around, learning power chords, and trying to figure stuff out. You know what I mean? So I was jamming on a lot on covers. You know, I played with him. I played with some friends just sitting in the house, just learning Metallica songs and all the other songs. But here's a side note. It wasn't until Death Angel I go, I want to be in a band. Because, of course, nice. the age yeah. and Filipino. You know what I mean? I, I yeah. looked at it as like, wow, they're like my age, and they're out there playing gigs. Where Metallica's like made me yeah. want to play an instrument, like to learn yeah. songs, and hopefully down the road. Start a band or whatever, but hearing about Death Angel like the Killers' one demo because of that connection with Metallica, like yeah, Kirk's producing this band comprised of all cousins, Filipino heritage, yeah, young, young.
0: Not young. Not like young. how old was the young. Y- was it the youngest member on the
1: demo? Of what?
2: Twelve?
1: Yeah. So uh, yeah, seeing yeah. that, hearing yeah. about that, like Death Angel, Kirk Hammer produced the Killers' one demo, and then you start reading about it and seeing photos. You're like, dude. I gotta check this out because it's the Metallica connection, you know? Yeah, anything connected, anything connected to Metallica. Again, I'm gonna go back to Kiss. Like, was it Gene Simmons produced black and blue? And that people go, dude, black and blue. Yeah. You know, all that yeah. stuff. And before our
0: time, his involvement with Van Halen early on.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So you know, anything Metallica related, I was into. You know, like I know um James produced Piranha's demo. I yeah. think it was Piranha or Laughing Dead. Wow. Paul Bailoff was in that band. You know, there's this yeah. whole connection. And I think I, don't
0: think I knew that until right now.
1: Yeah. It's rare I think, that
0: I learned a new metallic effect.
1: <laughs> uh, it, it was either Piranha, which is Paul Bailoff's band, or Laughing yeah. Dead, one of the two bands of James yeah, totally produced done. the demo. And yeah. was it? I think Kirk did not all, He did the Killers One demo, but he also produced Blind Illusions, the Sane Asylum, I believe. So there's all this metallic conne- connection that made me check out. So and yeah. I discovered that thing through that because of Kirk producing their demo and how young they are. But I'm, I'm like, Oh man, they're young. I want to be in a band.
2: Yeah, <laughs> you know, I can do it. If they
1: could do it, we're the same age and they're out playing gigs. Anyone can do it.
0: One, so. one of my favorite thrash bands of all time is Sanctuary. And I love them growing up in high school and everything. And then as I became a journalist some of the early articles that i wrote for like metal maniacs were about nevermore and so i got to know warrell and jim a little bit as a journalist yeah. and then uh late 90s early 2000s i was in a band um and we toured with nevermore and uh and then fast forward you know 15 years after that zeus the producer client i've managed for the last 10 years um ended up producing sanctuaries comeback records and then i uh, ended up doing uh this uh, record of um, old demos and stuff. And it all goes back to reading in a magazine that Dave Mustaine was producing a band called Sanctuary.
1: That's right, I heard <laughs> that about was,
0: that. It, it all just starts, yeah, the same thing. And that's that, of course, is even going back to the Metallica family tree.
1: Yeah, so I mean, for me, I mean, a lot of people probably older than me, or it depends, a lot of it dates back to them for Kiss. For me, it's Metallica. Yeah, so,
0: so, um, so how did you... Was it metal magazines? Was it locally? How did you first become aware of Death Angel?
1: Um, Ron Quintana. Wow! <laughs> again, amazing. the Metallica the family. Metallica <laughs> family, and plus friends around, you know, the yeah. neighborhood who was into that scene because, you know, born and raised in San Francisco, you had like Ruthie's in the Mab, the Stone, all this stuff. Which I, again, I was too young to go, but people would tell me about it, or they'd yeah. bring like a magazine from the rec, the record vault, or. You know, yeah. yeah, I know a friend who knows Ron Quintana and they gave him this magazine and he gave me this magazine, I'd be at their house reading it. Like it's Xerox copy. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, this is what's going on in San Francisco. And you just hear the stories, you know. I've heard stories like don't go to an Exodus gig, it's violent. And yeah, you know, amazing. i just played the mab last night under as the four horsemen. You know, I've heard that, you know, I've I've heard all these stories and read about it and I remember listening to KUSF early in the morning, you know, just trying to stay up late and you hear all these things and you just meet people who know people. And you know, the thing like, yeah, my friend roadied for that, this band and and I heard about this. So everything was through word of mouth. And I did remember reading um, metal mania about it.
0: What was your first band experience of your own as far as just, you know, jamming with people and,
1: it's, it's 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 funny. My first band that I played in was with our drummer Will Carroll. I met him when I was fifteen in wow. high school. So, the story goes. So he he mentions it, and I I vaguely remembered, which is kind of true. Like, I grew up in San Francisco. I went to a Catholic school for eight years, and you know, I I had a couple of friends who were into metal, but they weren't into metal the way I was into metal. I wanted to start a band like, dude, I play guitar. Why don't you play drums? But, you know, just trying to get it going. But they were into it, but they grew out of it. Hmm. So when I left, graduated eighth grade into high school, I, I made it a point not to go to any San Francisco schools because I didn't want to be around people that I just went to school with. Like, oh, you go to that school. You go, oh, I need to just starting you you know what i mean like go to go to a school where i don't know anybody at all so i went to this high school in Daly city which is a suburb of san francisco westmore and i went there dude literally i didn't know nobody at all which was really good and scary at the same time but you know they always i remember seeing like the stoners in the smoking pit you know everyone's smoking there in between breaks of you know classes and all that and I remember walking down the aisle, walking down the hallway, I had a merciful fate, don't break the oath t-shirt on. And Will notice it. He goes, dude, that's a baddest fuck shirt. And from there on we connect, we've been friends since. And he goes, Hey dude, I play drums. I play in a band. I go, I play guitar. So I tried out for his band called Armament, which is like a a watered down, horrible misfits.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. But
1: then I started, you know, it was it was fun for what it is. I look at it as a, a stepping stone to where I am now. Sure. So me and Will, we played in that band. We did two other bands and, you know, we were just jamming and Will went on to do other things. And, you know, I played a lot of, lo- you know, played in a lot of local bands in the late 90s, early 2000s. I took a break in the 90s from 95 to early 2000s. I just didn't want to play music no more so i started you know i jammed with a band out here in the bay area called sift we're like neurosis and alice and chains wow you know we did a lot of local shows with swarm which was mm. andy rob and mark from death angel we did a lot of shows together so we we've known each other i mean i've known those guys since the 80s and whatnot but we played a lot of shows together in that band my band and their band and that's when thrash of the titans came about
2: uh, and yes. uh
1: it's funny because uh, I heard about it. I saw this flyer, Thrash of the Titans, and it was Legacy and Exodus, and they were slowly announcing the bands. And then I've heard Death Angel got announced. i was like, dude, that's gonna be sick. And I remember calling. It was Legacy with Zetro? Yeah. When they did, wow. Yeah, it was Zetro, um, and there was Exodus with Paul Bailoff. For that benefit for Chuck Billy, that whole thing. A oh, that's bands.
0: right. That was the Chuck
1: Billy. Yeah, Chuck Billy benefit. A lot of bands reunited. I remember Rob calling me and he goes, Dude, did you hear about that thrash of the Titans? I go, dude, I'm so stoked you guys are doing it. If you need any help, like hauling gear, right. I want to be I want to be a part of it, you know, this yeah. and that. And Rob goes, Well, I was gonna call and ask you if you want to jam with us because Gus doesn't want to do it. Cause Gus has been in the Philippines. He just wasn't into doing thrash metal no more. He did play acoustic. He does play acoustic guitar with Rob every now and then. But he just wasn't into the whole idea of doing Death Angel. So Rob goes, do you want to do it? I go, fuck yeah, I'll do it. (laughs) Yeah, you kidding? (laughs) Here we are today, like uh, 22 years later.
0: Which is crazy to think about because a 20-year run for a band is a long time. And, you know, I mean, I
1: was reading this interview
0: with Pete Wentz from Fall Out Boy the other day. And he was talking about this is the 20 year anniversary of fallout boy. And he was saying he just watched some kind of monster again recently. And he was like, you know, I remember watching some kind of monster when it was new. And he's like, at the time I felt like, Oh, Metallica has been around for decades. And he's like, but watching it back now, he's like, I realized they'd only been around for 20 years when some kind of monster happened. And he's like, and now we've been around 20 years and just talking about how much he related to the movie. And, and that, you know, like spinal tap in a different sense. I feel like those are the two, those are tour bus movies where, every band at any level touring in a van whatever any any band that's been together for uh, even just a couple of years can watch that documentary and relate to something some you know it's just it's so just relatable or anybody in any kind of creative pursuit that relies on partnering with colleagues (laughs) you
1: know i can understand you know yeah I get why people, you know, I get it. You know, people want to see their uh rock stars and musicians that they call heroes and whatnot. That mystique of, you know, just play music and sex drugs yeah. and rock and roll. I get it. But I ha- I looked at it from a different perspective with some kind of monster. I looked at it as like, yeah, I can relate, you know, like. I was talking about it with my wife after we watched it. He, What'd you get from it? I go, This, this and that, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of similar to what we do, the band, the arguments, the recording, this and that. And I ask her, what did you get from it? I go, A band that knows how to run a business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. So I, I I then I watched it again and I looked at it from that perspective. I go, Oh, yeah, they do. You know what I mean? Yeah. They yeah.
0: Do. That's crazy. Yeah. And finding out, you know. I read the book that Joe Berlinger, one of the directors wrote and I get to uh, interview him and, and talk to him a little bit over the years. And, you know, him and uh, the late Bruce Sanofsky were going through their own turbulence while they were making that movie. And they were getting sort of like, uh, you know, Phil's therapy benefits like for free because <laughs> they were around, you know, there, and they were dealing with their, you know, no their own creative partnership. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of got some of that therapy benefits from by osmosis. Uh, yeah. My so my Death Angel fandom extends to 100% learning about them via the Kirk connection, and I didn't, I didn't get a hold of the demo, but I read about the demo, you know, before uh, the Ultraviolence was out, and this was I mean very early Thrash days for me because I remember the Ultimate Sin tour came through Indianapolis to Market Square Arena, but I was just a few months away from discovering Metallica. So, you know, it was Garage Days was actually the current release, um, you know, when I got into them. So sort of the end of the, the puppet cycle. But, and then, you know, getting into metal, then I started to meet people who had seen, there was a place called the Sherwood, which was really small where they had been through Indianapolis with Armored Saint on Ride the Lightning. And I started to, you know, have friends and stuff that had been at that show. And that was just like legendary to hear about, you know, and then there's these photos that are so amazing from 86. And I don't know what the, I don't know how it came together, but there's these amazing pictures where Sam Hain was touring through Indiana and they played a show in in Indiana the night before. And then they were also kind of in the area the night after. But on their way through, they stopped in Indianapolis and hung out with Metallica at Market Square Arena where Metallica was with Ozzy. And there's these great pictures of all four guys from Sam Hain at the time and Hetfield hanging out in Indianapolis. And so it always just has this like even whenever I see that picture it just has this like goosebumps, you know, like oh, yeah. hometown, you know. Uh but uh anyway, um i was into the ultra violence um but believe it or not it was frog through the park that became the death angel record that i really really loved and that
1: my really and
0: a couple of you know metal head friends and stuff like that and i will credit a lot of that to headbangers ball because headbangers all the time was like yeah was you know i would i would record i would set the vcr to record all three hours of headbangers ball and then get up the next morning and fast forward to get to the one thrash video that played every hour. I had to figure it figured out. It was generally one thrash video per hour. <laughs> and, and yeah, board was, was usually in that rep in that rotation. So here a couple of funny death angel things for you. The first one being, and this so rarely comes up. So it's so awesome to tell someone the first band I was ever in, in high school. I'm a freshman and a couple of friends of mine who were sophomores, uh, you know, I mean, there were, you know, maybe 10 metal, metal heads at my school. They had a band and one played guitar, one played bass. They had a friend who played drums and they asked me if I wanted to sing and uh, I didn't play an instrument. And so of course I was like, yeah, totally. And um, the first practice we ever had, we of course only did covers and the covers were uh, Am I Evil? Which was just the metallica songs, as far as we were concerned am i evil for whom the bell tolls sanitarium master of puppets and board wow it was all metallica covers and bored. <laughs> and that was the first time ever in a room with with musicians playing loud and you know kids my age and being in front of a microphone and trying to like sing and uh yeah it was a death angel cover <laughs> Wow, death angel sits in good company <laughs> <laughs> yeah right um and it was so funny because my older brother's five years older he was uh i mean still is he plays bass and drums and keys and a bunch of stuff now but um he would he had a bass and was playing bass, and he was in like rock bands little his favorite bands were like hanoi rocks and you know first guns and roses album and uh so it's the bands he was playing in the local bands were kind of like you know street kind of street wool hair metal but more on that kind of it you know like i'm like i have teased hair but i have switchblade
1: like those kind of guys rough around the edges yeah
0: (laughs) yeah and i remember him i was in my room i had my my notebook and i was listening to master puppets on cassette and i'm writing lyrics down i'm trying to get ready for this like band practice and uh I told my brother what I was doing and he gave me some of the best advice I've ever gotten in my life. He was like, cause I'm obviously I was insanely nervous and I didn't know these friends that well yet. Yeah. And, uh, my brother was like, Hey, just so you know, when you meet up with your buddies tomorrow, it's not going to sound like this. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you're probably sitting here thinking about what you're going to sound like and this and that. He's like, none of your little friends are going to sound like these guys you're listening to right now and it was so like it was the best like thing anyone could have said because it totally was like oh right and obviously he was right i mean they sounded fine for you know 15 year olds but um it was just a great sort of like oh yeah you know and it's great life advice because it's that thing where like you know you go into social situations and you think everyone's looking at you. Everyone's listening to you. Everyone's studying your insecurities and flaws and whatever. And then you, you can relax when you remember like, no, that's what everyone else is thinking right now too. Yeah. No, one, no one's yeah. looking at me because they think everyone's looking at them. <laughs> you know, it's like. Good advice. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then we, my good friend, who's still one of my close friends, Matt Reese, who was the bass player in that, that first band, first couple bands. Um, him and I saw Death Angel i don't think it was act three yet i think it was touring for all through the park and um at the arlington theater in indianapolis and it was an awesome show and uh gosh i yeah it was definitely frog through the park because i had a frog through the park shirt that i bought there that you know i i wore out basically
1: was that with rigor mortis
0: yes (laughs) <laughs> uh, gosh, it's so funny because I was just about to say I don't remember who opened, and as soon as you said it, I knew. And then Matt Reese, my buddy, was into Rigor Mortis, and I got everyone from the band to sign my ticket. It's the only time I can remember doing that, oddly enough. And I got to you know spend a good, I don't know, five minutes um, talking uh, with Mark, which you know, when you're 15, and I hadn't been to that many shows yet, that that was, that had to have been within my first, like, 10 shows, and uh, he was so cool, and so kind, and, like, just, you know, you know, it was, I was still at that age, and I'm in in Indiana, right, so it's like, you know, this is, I mean, he's a rock star, they're Death Angel War rock stars, and never mind that it's a thrash show, and what, you know, some small venue, or whatever, to us, it was like, it was like a, this a guy from MTV, you know, I, this guy's on Headbangers Ball. This guy's in every magazine I read. This guy's friends with Metallica, <laughs> yeah. you know, and like, um, and it, it, it goes back to that thing that you encounter in, in our industry over and over, over the years where it's like, this was a quote I just heard actually yesterday that was attributed to a comedian. But the quote was, you know, I can, I can spend five minutes talking to somebody and have a fan for life or I can spend, you know, 30 seconds blowing them off and lose a fan for life. Yeah. And and it's, it's so, I mean, you know, everybody has bad days and sometimes, you know, there's, I don't fault people that are, that don't give the best impression in every situation and no, no one wants to be bothered with their family at a restaurant or whatever.
2: Yeah. But having
0: said that, those little memories, like remembering, oh, the singer from Death Angel was so cool, and not only signed my ticket, but like spent five minutes, like talking to me. It was just like, you know, love Death Angel forever after that.
1: Dude, you know? I I get it, man. I, I I totally get that. I I've had those moments, uh, a couple of moments with Metallica dudes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Kirk, I met through Mark. They're good friends. I mean, they've been good friends since you know. Kill us one demo, and yeah, you know, they're still good friends today. So, I met Kirk through Mark, and really nice guy, very down to earth, you know. But, you know, I fanboy out inside, but I just look at it, it's like, right on, dude, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, cool, yeah. you know. Yeah. He, he's a big supporter of the band. Um, I could tell you a couple of stories, like uh, I have a Jason, you said story, and a, a James Hetfield story. Please. When Jason, you said joined the band, it was what, uh, late 86, early 7, you know, 87, right before. Well, you know, like right at the death, Jason used to frequent a lot of the thrash shows in the Bay Area. And at, at that time, a lot of the local thrash bands would go to all the shows to sell tickets, you know, pay to play. I'm sure you're familiar yes. with the pay to play yes. bands. blah, blah, blah. I actually sold the ticket to Jason, you said, and he bought it. <laughs> that, that memory right there. I was, you know, hey, Jason fan, blah, blah, blah. He was like, you know at a violent show at the Omni. And, you know, Jason was like, hey, what's up? you know, really cool dude. And, hey, man, love selling tickets for my band. Hope you come out to the show. Wow. He actually bought a couple tickets. He didn't show up, but he bought a ticket. And that's a, a memory that I respect Jason for.
0: Yeah. Know? And the fact that he didn't show up even tells you that he was buying it to be cool. That's how <laughs> yeah. I look at it. Yeah. You know,
1: that's the story. Dude. Yeah. Jason bought it. You know, this and that. no shit. You know, yeah. so yeah, of course he didn't show up, he was probably on tour or just did it to be cool. And I don't care. You that's, know what I mean? That's that- that- such
0: a classic Jason Newstead story, too, because you know, like we're talking about these bands where like of the people, you know, Metallica Metallica looked like they climbed out of the audience and got on stage. And then Newstead was like the ultimate.
2: Yeah. He
0: was in he a was. smaller band and he was a fan of Metallica. Now he's in the band. And I feel like the whole 14 years he was in the band, he had that relationship with the, the audience with the fans as like he's like our ambassador or something you know like
1: exactly I mean as Metallica got bigger like James uh Kirk and Lars just seemed to be unreachable where Jason kept one foot yeah on the on the scene and one foot in the Metallica world so he he it felt like he was still a bit street you get yes. what I mean yes so- and he and he would
0: wear you know and keeping those traditions alive he would wear a sacred reich shirt he would wear an atrophy t-shirt he would you know violence or violence. you know
1: yeah i mean just like uh james and lars would wear diamond head or gbh he did it for you know the bands that he loved so yeah. it felt like jason was more reachable than all the other all the other three
0: and his thing was always like you know first one in last one out like yeah
1: you know, so i respected sports. him for that for that was like hell yeah I'm down it, it kept me liking metallica more it kept me attached to it yeah right so. and, it,
0: and it and it goes back to that thing i think it was Artie lang was the comedian who said it right like jason could have could have blown you off or been having a bad day or or whatever and that could have really dampened your fandom and yeah. instead he took 30 seconds to be cool and go out of his way to be cool and it just made you love the band
2: yeah like
1: that, Art, so that's that's my jason's story my james story is i like this one man um Death Angel was recording our second comeback album, Killing Season. We were recording at Studio Six O Six. Killer record, by the way. And Thank Killer you. Studio. And, yeah. You know, Nick Raskellin is produced mm-hmm. it. and uh Dave Grohl's studio. We met Dave Grohl and Taylor Hawkins. Cool dudes. Cool dudes. They were they were just in and out. But that connection came from Danko Jones because Danko was recording with Nick down there and amazing. And Nick's been a fan and goes, dude, and we were about ready to record. A, we were ready to record our record and Nick had some time in the studio had some time. So it all worked out. We record at six or six. And at the time we were just flying back and forth to do our parts, you know, like I was flying in to do mine and, um, and our bass player Dennis Peppa was flying in from Hawaii. So we were going to meet at Burbank airport, you know, okay, go to the studio together. Mm-hmm. So I was at Oakland airport, um, waiting for my flight early in the morning. And I was lying there at at the gate. I, I fell asleep. I realized I woke up. I didn't want to miss the flight or whatever. I see James Hetfield. <laughs> I was like, the fuck? <laughs> James Hetfield, like, he was just, you know, looking at the screen. I was like, oh, I wonder what's he doing. Then I realized he's on the same flight as me. I called my wife. I go, James and I are on the same flight. And she goes, <laughs> Why don't you go say hi to him? I'm sure he knows who you are. I go, I am not going to do that. I'm yeah. not going to draw attention to that. You know, I'm i yeah. pretty sure he just wants to get in and out. You know what I mean? So he's in And that school. is one problem
0: you can create for somebody because then you, Yeah. this is something I heard Louis C.K. was talking about, where he was like, if I take a picture with somebody at the airport, then all the people in the terminal look around and they're like, who's that? And and, and yeah. then he's like, and then all of a sudden people are looking me up on their phones and they're like, oh, I know who that guy is. And he's like, and then they're going to get a picture with me. They're not even a fan. Yeah. No, I'm so famous. I
1: didn't want to do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. of course, he's in one the flying Southwest Airlines. He's in group, boarding group A. I'm in boarding group B. <laughs> he gets on the plane and I was walking onto the plane. And mind you, I had this sweatshirt of a metal band. I don't know if you heard of it called Nemec. They're from Denmark. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I had that sweatshirt on, you know, I was walking and James goes, killer sweatshirt. And that left the door open for me right there. I was like, I leaned over, James, Ted from Death Angel, nice to meet you. He goes, have a seat. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> Seriously. <dude>. Seriously. <laughs> he goes, you want a seat? Have a seat. It was a middle seat. He had the aisle, you know, so I sat down. And I tro- very nice dude, very nice dude. I did not want to talk about Metallica at all, but he did ask, "Where are you going?" I go, "Oh, we're recording in Northridge, a record. I'm going down to do some tracks." How about you? He goes, "I'm gonna go do some tracks. Death Magnetic." It was when they were recording Death Magnetic. But I'm, I'm, just, you know, he he's heard it all, right? We're well, gonna tell the but,
0: but. But by the way, how great is it that you had a lot of ammo so to speak conversationally like you are you were going you were working on a death angel record you were yeah. going to girls studio
2: yeah nick's doing
0: your record, you know there's like you know like it's a good thing you weren't just like you know going on vacation or something <laughs> like so
1: we had a conversation stuff to talk I, about in case there yeah. was a lull yeah and i was asking them I, I did my best not to you know i go hey man how's the family oh doing good kids are grown up Blah 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 and i yeah. go you take him on the road. He goes, Oh yeah, you know, we have a nanny, you know, that just talks about stuff. And I was like, Oh, that's cool, man. I go, you still messing with those muscle cars? You still collect cars and uh, rebuild them? He goes, Oh yeah. You know, started um yeah, you know, talking about that. Then I was running out <laughs> to talk about right. I was like, <laughs> I go, hey man, I just gotta ask you if you don't mind. I go, how'd you get the right lightning tone? <laughs> <laughs> I love it, dude. Just immediately went, into deep cut, dude. I, dude, like, great, dude, I go great. I, I, as you get red lightning tone. He goes, you know what, man? He goes, a Mesa, a Marshall, one mic. Back when it was simple, I go oh, right on. And we talked about little things like um, he said, "How's the recording going?" I go, "It's going good." How about you? And he goes, "Yeah, getting there." Lars is finishing up his drum tracks Blah blah blah. the Plane lands. Only an hour flight.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: Right. And um, but like I said. We were just, I didn't want to, people were, you know, I didn't want people to hear what we're talking, you know, I just try to keep it like, I don't want all this attention to them. That's the last thing I want to do. And I go, all right. I go, Hey man, have a good sesh. Hope to see you. Good talking to you, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, do you need a ride? I got, (laughs) he goes, I got a driver who's picking me up. He could take you where you need to go. I declined. I said, I appreciate the offer. I'm waiting for Dennis, you know, our bass player. He's meeting me here and we're gonna go together. He goes, Okay, man. Well, then I saw him. I go, have a good one. And that's my first meeting with James.
0: Fucking so cool, man.
1: I man. declined the offer to ride. I just I felt like I didn't want to be that dude.
0: Yeah, and also you know it's been so killer up to that point. Why push it? You know? Yeah. It's kinda of, you know you know you don't have to compare it to. <laughs> you had this great meal and you left some food on your plate. Yeah. that's what declining the ride was right i was like yeah okay like um, you know this this is like the best piece of chocolate cake i don't need to eat every single bite of them um,
1: yeah. good analogy yeah so you know that's um my story and i was like yeah i saw James on the flight. Thought, what I declined the ride it was cool and the next time i saw him another uh a lot of times i ran into him um it was at uh american carnage tour slayer megadeth testament yeah that rolled through the cow palace i went to see that show i was backstage i hung out you know saw people i knew talk blah 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 i saw lars and james of course they were there you know what i mean i was like oh they're hanging out cool but i was just talking to people i hung out with that was with my wife at the time my wife i was,
0: think that was the show where lars told mustaine to put hook and mouth in
1: their set i think so did. i think so
2: yeah
1: um I was with my wife, Trisha and she goes, oh, you're going to hang out here? I go, yeah. I go, I'm going to hang out with so-and-so, some friends. So I was just, so she went, hung out. I was by myself for like a little bit. I, I leaned over. I saw James and we made eye contact. I just waved. And he told his entourage, hold on one minute. And he comes over, gives me a hug, goes, how are you? I go, I'm doing well. How about yourself? And, you know, we chit-chat for a little bit. And he goes, yeah, I came to check out the show. I go, yeah, I want to check it out. Seems pretty cool. You know, just a little chit-chat. Then I saw like all these people call- trying to call for James. I go, I guess your presence is wanted over there, bro. And he goes, Ah, all right, man. It's good to see you. I go, good to see you too. And that was it. Left it at that. Wow, man. So cool. So- yeah. Yeah. So it was, you know, it was yeah. really cool. I just just leave it at that, man. You know, he's a nice guy. You know, he's just just a normal dude, but the only difference is he's the front 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 man for Metallica.
0: Yeah. <laughs> It's just some guy who changed all our lives. and Yeah.
1: But ever since I met him, you know, ever since my encounters with him have been really cool. And I just keep it short the way I want. Yeah. I, I kind of want to keep it that way. Yeah.
0: And um, and
1: understandable.
0: Uh, it, uh, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, it's I've never
1: met gift. Lars, though. I never met Me Lars. Me neither.
0: Though. And yeah. it's so interesting you said that because, um, you know, it's such a gift doing what we do and getting to have any connection with people who, who make art that has been meaningful to us, just, just as it is meaningful for them when they get to, you know, the same sort of opportunities. Um, yeah. And whenever in a conversation like this one, when I say that, that, you know, Lars is the guy I haven't met. Usually the, the other person says, really, he's like the easiest one to meet. Like, like I tend to run into people who are like, Lars is the only one I've met. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Yeah, and for some yeah, for some reason it hasn't happened for me either, which is um, sad. I know first world problems, right? But, yeah, um sure.
1: But you know, yeah. if I meet him, yeah. cool. If I don't, I'm okay with it too. You know what I mean?
0: I know what you mean. Exactly what yeah. you mean.
1: Yeah, I've um I've had the opportunity to interview
0: Kirk a number of times over the years, and uh, it's always been killer. And I've met him a couple of times socially. Always super nice. Yeah. Um, I got to interview. Jason a couple of times, and uh I haven't interviewed Rob before. I've met Rob socially if you we have mutual friends and Doc Coyle has been on the podcast okay. three times Oh, He's, dude you know, plays the wedding you on band. his
1: podcast too yeah, yeah, yeah about yeah, yeah. social media and all that. I listened to that all oh right oh, oh yeah. yeah, I know doc I, I when I said, oh dude, I want to check that you Eric German, yeah, and, um, somebody else i got I gotta Mike listen Power, to I think, what yeah. they have to say thats rad. yeah, yeah. doc dude, doc is uh, doc and i go back to the
0: 90s like the you know hardcore scene
2: okay um,
1: but uh yeah
0: so and then uh james um i got the interview once and I'll, I'll i'll try not to to bore regular listeners cuz I've, I've obviously told this story before but um the short version is uh, i was working for mtv news at the time and this was saint anger era and we were doing a piece. Kurt Loder had done what I think turned out to be Johnny Cash's final interview uh, in Nashville. And we were running a piece before the VMAs that year where the, the video for the Mark Romanek Johnny Cash hurt video was up for a nomination. So anyway, we, we, I was working on this companion piece to go with Kurt's interview. That was artists talking about the impact of Johnny Cash. Yeah. And, uh, metallica was going to be in the piece and the closest they were coming to la or new york was salt lake city so i flew out to salt lake city used a local news crew local news camera guy and sound guy and uh interviewed james and kirk together in the jam room and it's so funny because you know for most of my colleagues it would just be you know another day at the office we're interviewing bands all the time yeah. and uh it was just such a perfect i still have the there's so many things. you know i can barely remember what i ate yesterday but i have a vivid memory of going in the jam room and i'm with this local camera guy and local sound guy who could give a shit that it's miss which is probably better you know but um you know we're just we're like whoever our handler was who had brought us in there was like you know set up set up wherever you need to if you need to move anything you know feel free don't unplug things or whatever and there's like a moment where i'm like you know moving hetfield's guitar (laughs) it's just like insane so kind of similar to your story in the sense that the interview none of the interview was about metallica i sat for 30 minutes and talked to james and kirk about johnny cash and that was you know it was amazing you know and um I do this thing sometimes, you know, I, I feel like people who've been interviewed a lot, some large significant portion of the time they're being interviewed by somebody who hasn't done homework or doesn't care or yeah. isn't interested, or maybe even is just like super busy and hectic and they're thrown in this interview situation. So I like to, if in a situation like that, especially I like to say something early on that can establish a little bit of trust where it's like, yeah. you know, I, I know what I'm talking about to some degree. And, uh, so the first thing I said in my first question is I was I was like, Kirk, so when you were growing up, you know, Johnny Cash was like, you know, when you were like starting Exodus and your book and, you know, cause I'm just some dude from MTV news, you yeah. know, at the time. And, um, as far as they know, you know, and it's just another interview and there was a visible moment when I said Exodus that Kirk was like, hmm, he kind of looked at James like, Oh, you know, like,
1: Oh, he did. Oh, this mind.
0: kid, this kid knows, knows a thing or two. Yeah. Um, so that, that was pretty fucking cool, and the interview was great, and they were both awesome. And uh, I did get, th- I did get a moment where you know, as we were wrapping up and they were leaving, and um, you know, I did get to spit out something emotional to James about what you know Metallica meant to me and and whatever, and and he just, you know gave me the nod and it That's was perfect dude it was all i needed all need. exactly it was all i needed yeah. just got the headfield nod and then and then kirk headfield leaves and kirk comes over and he's like hey man so you stick around for the show like you want to you want a good spot to watch from like what you know he's just like totally like super friendly and and um personable and, and then you yeah no, that trust. About later. you
1: know what i mean you yeah. established like this dude knows what he's talking about you know what i mean
0: yeah and it was the same as same man, it's so we're so you and I are very similar in this way because it's like I also you know I I don't want to take advantage of opportunities like that when they come up to be like, well, let's be best friends now, you know, like we're they don't know, need just it. It's like it's they don't need it. And um and it's better this way. <laughs> you it know is. what I mean? Like it's like
1: it's just yeah, it's cool. Yeah, you know. It's better. I, I, I like it, you know, I mean I, I respect it. Uh you know me's like like i said i met kirk on several occasions he came out to a show and he's good friends with mark but it's like cool man right on you know I'm just yeah. like that's i want to know it from the stage or what music you put out to me or to the world that's yeah. what i want to know
0: yeah and yeah. it's not taking those those opportunities for granted at all yeah. but yeah. it's also not taking advantage like you know i never yeah. want to feel exploitative or like um no. you know abusing that uh yeah, it's interesting, man. It's interesting. Yeah. Some of those relationships, right? Like you just kind of, I, I, I with people who are in the public eye that I've gotten to know personally, you know, and I'm talking like people that like at a, a big level, I always leave it to them to set the boundaries, you know? Yeah. How often yeah. do they want to text? <laughs> you know, yeah. how often are they sending me a meme or, any? you know what I mean? It's like, I yeah, try yeah. to like be You set the tone because people are undoubtedly everyone in your life is constantly trying to get something out of you and punish you. Yeah, like I don't want an idea about something or, you know, listen to my band or
1: I just don't want, you know, it's funny uh, because with Metallica, like I saw them on their 40th anniversary, which happens that that second show, which was actually my birthday. Oh, right. I made it it a point like, all right, man, this is the last time I'm going to see him live. I'm done. Not in a bad way, but it's just like I'm done, you know. I mean, I've seen them, I just
0: that was a great show to pick. Also, being yeah,
1: Yeah, I was like, I saw them, I'm good, you know. I mean, like, I'll, I'll still buy the music and whatever they put out, I'll still buy merch, but I don't know if. I want to go and see him live again, unless we play with them, which 99.9% ain't going to happen. <laughs> so it could yeah, still happen. I just kind of want to leave it at that. You know, I yeah. saw him like, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah.
0: I did get to hang out with Mark a little bit. Uh, I used to host a Q and a Q&A series at the musicians Institute. Oh, no had, way. And I had him when they were down for metal allegiance once I had, it was him him, Andreas from Sepultura, David Ellefson. Uh I don't think Alex was there.
1: Gosh, how Bill bad. Demmel,
0: maybe. Yeah, you know what? I think it might it might have been Demmel. Uh, But yeah, I had them. I had them, and he was awesome.
1: Yeah, you
0: know, yeah I'm pretty sure I told him like, "You signed my ticket and talked <laughs> to me for a few minutes, dude. It was killer."
1: He probably remembered that. He remembers That's... stuff from the eighties. Um.
0: Yeah, and I've actually uh, we have talked about having him on the podcast. I need to uh, bug him about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, the stories they told me, like Kirk producing the demo, they were stoked. He, they, they were young. They were in there, and I remember Rob telling me, I bet you Kirk was looking at us like these kids don't know what they're doing, you know, like. But he said it was cool. You know, Kirk was really good, and they've just been friends since. And I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, uh, it was. You know, uh, obviously, I've heard the stories were Cliff was a huge fan he had been in the front row at their shows banging their head and wow. you know and i'm pretty sure with the kirk and cliff connection that's probably how they got the the gig at the kabuki with armored saint you know uh two nights of metallica and two nights, you know on the ride of lightning so yeah there's there's a connection there so you know i'm stoked on it i'm glad yeah and
0: this kind of bringing us full circle one of the things we were talking about at the top is with kirk like my favorite thing about the the uh, Murder in the Front Row documentary film when I saw it was that it really gives Kirk his due as an oh, architect yeah. of the thrash movement because understandably you know James and Lars uh, take up a lot of that space and justifiably so when those the stories are being told and documentaries are being made and so on yeah. and you know in the style of guitar playing that headfield and Mustaine really pioneered you know and, and then obviously that branching off into megadeth and you know all that stuff gets covered as it should but it's at the expense sometimes of you know it's like oh kirk he's the lead guitar player he comes in and shreds a killer solo and yeah he's a nice affable guy and and what i really loved about that documentary is it really zeroed in on like no this guy was like he's on the mount rushmore of thrash and he is especially man. In, in the bay area because he
2: is
1: I mean, yeah. okay, Kill 'em All. Yeah, Dave Mustaine had a huge influence on Kill 'em All and Metallica. It's it's you you hear it, right? But when Kill 'em All was like written and probably recorded, I mean, Kirk and Cliff didn't really have any musical input on Kill 'em All. It's already been written and whatnot, so yeah. it's still a great record. But you hear a lot of their influence on Ride the Lightning and on you know what I mean. Big time you hear like the harmonies and the big riff on creeping death yeah,
2: yeah.
0: which is an Exodus song yeah <laughs> the last section yeah.
1: yeah so you hear their influence you know for, come on fade the Blackie they sold out well why don't you huck them you don't blame Kirk and Cliff for that they were in the band during that era they go they sold out but but everyone yeah. holds that line that lineup as the the lineup ever which I get you know what I mean but From jumping from kill to ride, man, what a big jump and a a great jump. You know, that this everyone wanted to be as fast as Metallica. I mean, on uh, Zetro's Toxic Vault, he interviewed Rob Capistani. And when they said the first time, I mean, Death Angel started off as a heavy metal band or Judas Priest. I mean, their heavy metal insanity demo was like Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, that vibe, except Scorpions or whatnot. But when they saw Metallica on Kill 'Em kill them all, then they go, we got to bump everything up. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean, a lot yeah. of bands did, you yeah. know? So while everyone was bumping everything up, here comes Ride the Lightning. You know, songs like For Whom the Bell Tolls, no fast beat in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Black, no fast beat in it. Escape, nothing. The only thing is what Fight Fire with Fire and Ride the Lightning. is the only song with blistering speed. But call it Cthulhu instrumental. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So. That album, every it just caught everyone off guard. Like what? They're just they were pushing the boundaries on thrash metal. So not only that, would even with James's vocal melodies, you know, come on the the harmonies, especially on uh, I would say like um, r- Master Puppets, Master Puppets, and Orion. Orion to me is like Master Puppets without vocals.
2: Mm. Yeah,
1: you yeah. know what I mean. So I mean, and I always say "Master
0: yeah. Puppets" is the song. If aliens land tomorrow and say, "What is Metallica? Show me Metallica!" Like that's the song you
1: play. I agree. I think it's the best thrash song ever written, from start to finish. It and it gives you
0: so much, so much of the DNA for what then expands all through Load, all through Hardwired, all through exactly. everything. Exactly is is in is like packed into that one song.
1: I mean, it's a long song, but you don't get bored. There's so much. It takes you on a journey, like that beginning, the vocals. And when it gets into that middle section, you know, and it's very rare. James does a guitar solo, but he does. And it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Then, you know, it ends it out. And, oh, oh, man, that's that's just a perfect, well-written song to me. Metal song.
0: Talk about picking your moments, by the way. That solo and, and the uh, Nothing Else Matters solo. It's like when he does solo, it's like,
1: yeah, oh, it's perfect. I mean... Uh, I remember, I guess um, you guys talked about this so with John and Carlos from More bringers, Like, are they the greatest musicians compared to all their other pairs? No. But when the four of them get together and they write some songs, that's when it works. Unstoppable. You know I mean, yeah. So um, it was funny because uh, I'll jump to the Black Album, you know, one of my favorite songs on the Black Album is the last track. Uh,
0: um,
1: Struggle Within. mm.
0: That's not a song yeah. I think about very often.
1: Yeah. yeah. Deep cut. And uh, my three favorite guitar solos from Kirk. One is Ride the Lightning. I mean, that's just right there. Ride the Lightning. That's an epic solo. Mm-hmm. It, it's on its own. You get know what I mean? Creeping Death and the Struggle Within. The last song on the Black Album. When you wow. listen to that solo, that's the last great thrash. That's the the last solo that ends his thrash soloing stuff because everything after that was load all bluesy all you yeah. know yeah. but that's that's a good closer to go for me he's like okay I'm gonna do one more thrash solo and this is it I'm gonna end it on this last track with the album and everything else I'm, he just ventured off and doing bluesy jazzy stuff which it's cool you know that's yeah, it.
0: and it's very identifiable when you hear yeah. that you know
1: you know even the stuff Kirk does soloing yeah. I mean Fade the Black unforgiven they're just so well written i mean it's not fast or shreddy but the choice of notes and this phrasing it's like it's memorable that's what i like about kirk
0: You know? yeah absolutely the phrasing and the memorability and yeah and i would yeah i gotta i gotta sit up. first of all i gotta go back and listen specifically to the soloing and struggle within but, but yeah i should figure out what my favorite kirk solos are definitely unforgiven is up there and and definitely the solo in one is up there yeah sure you know what
1: i mean he has a style you know yeah. and i think a, a lot of it's a style and maybe a lot of it that's lars guiding him. song
0: you know? within a song and yeah, yeah that's that's one of the real secret sauces that casual fans aren't so aware when you watch some of those behind the scenes and making ups and whatever yeah the solos are lars sitting with kirk and talking they're arranging the solos together and
1: yeah you know. i mean lars has a good ear kirk has you know, he has the skill. He has a mm-hmm. great style. It's just, you know, that the collaboration, I think collab collaborating is when you, you know, get the best out of it, you know. yeah. Palika has a different way of collaborating. It's like, send me your riff tapes and we'll go through it. And, you know, yeah. mean, that's cool, whatever works. You yeah, know? Got- and Lars is
0: obviously such an ultimate arranger. I mean, even something like the riff in Inner Sandman was Kirk wrote it and then yeah. Lars rearranged it.
1: And that's... Yes. Was- I mean, he, biggest songs of all time, <laughs> and he deserves every writing credit. Yep, Chris, you know what I mean? I mean, he without him, Metallica wouldn't be who they are today, musically and status wise.
0: 1000% correct. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely I mean, wholeheartedly agree.
1: I'm pretty sure there was like that article, and it was in Scott Ian's book. Scott Ian mentioning like they were going to kick out Lars after Master Puppets, you know, that rumor. I, I, yeah i read about it you know? and I'm like people go that, that should have been cool. but they wouldn't be Metallica where they are right now Lars has he, he has he has a hand in everything and I remember that interview that with John and Carlos like yeah does he lack in some drumming skills yeah because he's doing all this other stuff and I get And, that. and his
0: particular type of drumming is so perfectly suited to them and their sound in the yeah. way that you know Bill Ward or different drummers that have been in acds like there's just the you know the way he's in the pocket the way his his feel the choices he makes um just i just had uh, a recent episode um you know uh one of the the tardy you know i had the tardy brothers from obituary on a different podcast but oh yeah i
1: heard some of it i know john and donald yeah talking to, talking to to
0: about about lars's playing i mean he he's the same as me and you know, Mike Portnoy, who's obviously one of the greatest metal drummers of all time, he has the same opinion. It's like when you talk to like really great drummers who are really skilled, they don't talk shit on Lars, you know, like they they understand how it fits in Metallica. And, and to your point, you know, we we're talking about Cliff and Kirk's influence and their melodicism. Probably my least favorite trope as a Metallica fan is when... So called fans will, you know, make the, will they'll do memes or whatever? They'll make the comments about like, you know, if Cliff was still here, this and that. And it's like, dude, Cliff loved Simon and Garfunkel. R.E.M. Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, yeah. All that and stuff. Wore bell bottoms and whatever. Like, you think they wouldn't have gotten more melodic and slow and whatever. Like, like Cliff's the guy in 1986 doing that interview. It's on Cliff Amal that's on YouTube or whatever, where he's like, he's like yeah we don't have to play a million miles per hour if you think that's selling out whatever like yeah he was so far ahead of you in this conversation haters like he would he would have been pulling the band in a more melodic and a more thin lizzie and a more whatever yeah i mean no one no one can say right definitively the what if in the multiverse but the idea that like and that that goes back to like the superman thing that's just somebody wanting it to be the the superman comic that they first read where his powers are this he's from krypton what you know it's like you can monkey around with it but it's got to eventually get its way back that's just somebody wanting to keep metallica frozen and that is you know when kurt cobain jim morrison you know tupac you know so many of these iconic artists when they leave us young uh they're frozen in time at their absolute coolest and we yeah. never get to see them grow and take big chances and fail or do something lame or, you know, like we just, we don't, they don't, they're robbed of the opportunity of, of living a, a full life, which is going to include moments where you aren't the coolest thing imaginable, which is a great shame. And, and it's really kind of a disservice, I think, to some of their memories in a way when you don't see them as a whole person, it's like, yeah, you know, the rest of the doors got to grow up and, be old (laughs) you know i mean morrison's always going to be cool because he died young
1: we will never know like people like you said well if cliff was in the band we will never know but going off his interviews that's online and what he said he listens to and Mm -hmm. his influences and all that you know it wouldn't surprise me you know if you know I, i would i would lean towards thinking he would love the black album yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Honestly, I think he would love load and
2: reload. Yeah, I think so. Jason just
1: did. just you going know? off yeah. his interviews—that's all we could go off from. But yeah. we would never know. But you know, he had a big influence on that band, a huge influence. So, and um I mean, it, I mean, it is what it is. Those albums are great. I, it, I would love to hear J- Jason's influence writing yeah. style on it. I know he only got a credit on a couple. And the songs he's credited on are awesome. Yeah, I think outlaw torn, outlaw torn was one.
0: Blackened, um, blackened being probably the blackened,
1: most. Memorable. yeah, and my friend of misery, you know, but I, you know what, go just going off those albums, I I guess the material he submitted wasn't up to snuff for Lars and James, maybe. maybe and it's
0: and it's also that it's. Um, there's only so much room right like there's yeah. only so many songs on on a record and and yeah and for people who who have the alternate reality where Mustaine stayed in metallica and this is something i've seen james say before there just wasn't enough room you know when you look at all of the output from megadeth like yeah you just couldn't what would the we, we would have so much less great metal <laughs> if the if he had stayed in metallica because then what you only get one record with yeah, all of Mustaine's ideas and James and Lars and you know it's that had to that had to split off and be different bands.
1: It, it had to happen, Much. but you know people at the time probably go, "What the hell?" They yeah, but you know what? Only James and Lars knew. You know what I mean? Yeah. they were in the thick of it. They knew what was going on in that moment of time. So they made the choice. The choice. I, I bet it sucked for Mustaine at the time, but the way I, the way people should look at it now is like. You got two good bands, man. Yep. You got two good bands. Mustaine is doing well for himself. He's got Megadeth. Megadeth has been an influence on a lot of people, and especially a lot of shredding guitar players, and which they hold, uh, rest in peace, as the Holy Grail for shredding. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not only shredding on guitar, but riffing. Those riffs are really technical. Mm-hmm. Insane, you know? So uh, Mustaine has it good. You know what I mean? Mustaine has it really good.
0: Made his own way. And and also to, to you know, uh, like what it's him and Kerry King who have been in half of the big four. <laughs> you know, like there's not many people who can say that they're in one of those bands, let alone they were in two of them. Yeah. You know, yeah. So. I mean,
1: and speaking of, I think Mark's first show with Death Angel was uh, I think November 24th of 84. It was Death Angel, Exciter, Megadeth. I think Kerry King was in Megadeth at the time.
0: Rad. Yeah. yeah. 84 sounds about right.
1: Yeah, then I think Mark's second gig was, I think it was on his birthday in 85, it was Slayer and Death Angel. Hello, <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, you know, but yeah, I mean, hats off to Metallica. I mean, they're a band that knew what they wanted, whether you could say they knew what they wanted or Lars knew what he wanted the band to be. I mean, to be in a position where you own your masters, you own everything Metallica and you can make the decision. You could take the risks financially and musically and be okay with it, man. That's a good position to be in. That's I bet you a lot of musicians and a lot of artists would love to be in that position. You Absolutely.
0: Know? And we're seeing more and more Yeah, decisions they made. and Because the thing about them... I mean, who, I res-
1: played, who played all four continents in one calendar year?
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: They didn't have to, they wanted to. They go, Let's do it because financially they could, and maybe they just want something on the Metallica books bucket list or something. I yeah,
0: although they did forget to play Trapped Under Ice in Antarctica, which is <laughs> <just> crazy.
1: <laughs> maybe it was too cold. <laughs> that song is pretty brutal. Yeah, that's
0: true. That's uh, Frozen Fingers. Yeah, but yeah, I probably the thing I respect about them the most and the biggest influence I think they've had artistically is they have every step of the way done exactly what they want, how they want. And that's, that's the thing that so few artists can say that they weren't at some point guided or misguided or brought along in some direction by some sort of external forces. And it isn't to say that they weren't, you know, Lars is obviously a, a weather vane in terms of taking the temperature and having a sense of like what's happening around them, and you know, and always he's always paying attention to new bands and knows who to take on tour and, and that sort of thing. But but it's always been from a place of of challenging themselves, challenging their audience, and just being who they are and, and doing what they want. So you know,
1: man, they those guys, especially Lars, man, they have um they have some. Thick skin. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean. To be, in, I mean, there's a lot of hate and a lot of love. You know what I mean, going their way, and I respect them. You know, I mean, I read an I read an article where when Metallica was, I guess, negotiate renegotiating their contract with Elektra at the time. Whether it's true or not, like Lars told the lawyer, "Step outside. Let let me and the head honcho deal with this." And you know what? And to be the, to do that, he knew what he wanted. You know, he's not afraid to go, yeah, we'll leave it to the lawyers after, but let's we'll knock this out and we'll come to an agreement and let's have them put it all in writing. You get know what I mean? So he's, you know, not only is he good at that, but he had, he had good foresight. I mean, to, to record everything. You know, like the the Justice Tour, you know, that Binge and Purge. Yeah. He saw like we gotta record the you know, we gotta document the black album, which is awesome. You know, I had Adam Dubin on my podcast. Sort of um, <laughs> and I asked him, How was it? He goes, You you know what? You just we just had to know when and when not to be mm. there, you know, because mm-hmm. you know, that must be really hard for them. And I, I always wanted to I, I wanted to get Jason you said on my podcast because I wanted to ask him about this. Like having to be to record one of the not no maybe not them not knowing at the time, to record one of their biggest album to date with Bob Rock to be in the studio to concentrate on getting the best performance and best tones and whatever and to have nothing but cameras on you. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what? I mean, because I know being in the studio, a lot of musicians they're they're just going to focus on just trying to get the best performance and whatnot. But then here you are, you know, you have to feed the camera in order Mm -hmm. to get get content, performing in a different way, or at least being conscious of it in a different way. And, you know, Lars had the foresight to see that, you know, okay, we're going to take the cameraman on tour and we got to do this, you know, that, you know, I've been in that situation, us in death angel, you know, when you're, when you're in a zone, you're in a zone, the last thing you want is a camera on you and you want to feed it you know, to get good content because you're just in a different mindset. I get that, yeah. but they got it. You know what I mean? They knew how important it and was. And it really
0: helped uh, the audience yeah. to feel like we got to know them in a way.
1: Yeah. In a way, in but way- you know, they, they control the mystique too. Yes. You know, they didn't yes. let it all out. I'm sure there's footage in there where like, well, they let a lot of it out on St. Anger. Maybe, I mean, uh, on some kind of monster, maybe, you know, they just, Maybe they had the meeting, they go, we gotta do this, man. This is like we gotta let the cat out of the bag a little bit. And I, I respect them for that. Yeah. They, well, we and,
0: were... and rather famously, they they there were periods where they didn't want to put it out and then they they almost stopped. And then the director showed them some footage and they were like, yeah. oh wait, this is
1: <laughs> it's good stuff, you know what I mean? Historical, but, you know? but, but they they um they were ahead of the game on everything, you know, like not only that and i'd like to talk about this they have the best fan club before fifth member oh man they had the best That's i know insane. people in their fan club who were pissed when they opened it up to fifth members because oh. the Met club dude, the stuff that they did that i've seen and that i heard they're the biggest metal band in the world they hey let's, dude we played their 30th anniversary were you at that show in, no,
0: and it's I, I've I've obsessively I, I did go to the uh, both of the fortieths. Okay, but I, yeah, I didn't make it up for the thirtieths, and I um, the
1: thirtieth we we played the last night of that one, and I, and I think they kept it to. We were surprised we played. We we're like, oh shit, we're playing. Whether it was through Kirk or Robert Trujillo, whatever we they picked us, and what was really cool is the amount. I mean, I of course you look at it, all the people are playing with them. And I was stoked on that, but I looked at it as like the amount of work they put in. They learned like 80 songs through the whole weekend.
0: Insane.
1: You know, they were practicing at HQ, then they practiced at the Fillmore sound checking. The day we played, they told us, load in at two o'clock. All right. We loaded in our gear. I, I usually get there with the crew, you know, like to hang out. We loaded, they were sound checking with Mustaine. I was like, <laughs> I was on the floor, Ryan, Yeah. with our gear. Watching, and they were going over like, um, I think Phantom Lord or something. And I think Kirk goes, Get the solo, you know. I'll just, yeah, I sat and just watched. So they were running through Kill 'em All songs with Mustaine. As soon as they were done sound checking, all right, let's do a group photo, whatever. Uh, who's next? Ozzy and Geezer walked. <laughs> I was like, Oh my god,
2: <laughs> oh, dude, I can't what? believe
1: this. This is unreal. But getting back, they held it at the Fillmore just to their fan club and you know what i you know they forked out the bill for all these people to come out to celebrate 30 years you that's know, what i, I was
0: going to say too is that you know yeah i had um animal from anti-nowhere league and brian tatler from diamond head uh, biff byford from saxon yeah uh, like some i've had some folks on the podcast who were guests there and even just their stories about how they were treated you know the, like five-star treatment they got coming in and out of town and and i think it was animal who told me the band um uh gave him an eye like he had there was a gift basket in his room and had an ipad in it (laughs) like you know, like i mean they just like really
1: you get what i mean i mean they they get back in that sense you know i mean they don't they didn't have to do it no they could have celebrated by releasing um a box set or a video or something but they go you know what, let's do something for the fan club let's invite all these people that help pave the way for us that influence us diamond head merciful fate danzig you know whatever kid rock if if you're into that oh. you know and they brought all these people out you know and they play a song the fans were into it but and you know, L- lloyd
0: grant and Hugh tanner Ron mcgovney oh. jason mustaine absolutely bonkers the- yeah,
1: yeah, dude. And could you imagine like having it was great, but like I said, I always look at it from a different perspective. Like the amount of work these guys had to put in, like, okay, I bet you Lars trying to call everyone. We're doing this. Do you want to come, this and that. Maybe <sighs> but, you know, probably talking to Mustaine, Hey, we want you to play on the No Life to Leather songs. Do you wanna come out? You know, having to deal with that and the arrangements, the flights, and okay, how many days? I
0: King Diamond also wasn't was that his first performance you know, after I think his
1: heart attack after I think? Surgery, yeah. after surgery or something yeah, so. but you know having to okay what songs are we going to play and within the span of four nights you know how many songs we're learning and who's going to play who and you know having to try to get everyone together to do that that's a lot of work man a lot and of work. I I'll bet you a lot of bands probably wouldn't put in the work you know it's even, already hard even enough just to know to all get... those
0: songs to do those four, four nights and no repeats or whatever like
1: just 80 songs
0: 80 songs yeah, over four nights yeah
1: you know what i mean i mean and just I mean, it's hard enough to get five band, five members together to do stuff imagine five members and oh we got to get x members and we got to get oh people who did this and that it's like it could be and oh yeah you got to do press and you got to do this and you got to do that so you know i don't blame them for being you know if you meet them for the first time and they're not into it, <laughs> yeah, I don't blame them at all, dude. Yeah, I don't yeah. blame them at all.
0: I got to interview Kirk, uh, just a couple weeks after that. Um, because those shows were in uh, December, right?
1: Yeah, December 10th and 11th, or something like that. Yeah,
0: And then they, the next January, right after that, they had uh, an art show in LA, uh, where Shepherd Fairy DJed. There's the uh, Obey Your Master art gallery opening and it was like different artists who created paintings and stuff based on metallica yeah and uh i got to go to the opening for that and I, I was surprised honestly um all four band members were there and uh you know clown from slipknot rick rubin there were a lot of people there. very part of the reason why i'm saying this with such astonishment is that it's this place called exhibit a gallery on fairfax it's extremely small wow <laughs> i mean it's like i don't know if packing people in there maybe a hundred people can be there once, yeah there at once maybe and that's like shoulder to shoulder but uh but I got to do a, a quick interview with Kirk there and yeah and it was just after and I had obsessively watched all those shows and so of course I wanted to um I interviewed him about the gallery opening and then as soon as the recorder was off I was like so dude like you mistaken dude like what the? you know like and uh he was like kept he was it like, off yeah, record and uh yeah and we had a little uh, very cool fun off the record uh, of a couple of minutes and um yeah just so cool those shows just incredible i've watched yeah. them in the not that distant past probably just a few weeks ago i think I, they'll come up in my youtube recommended songs for those shows so. it was
1: it was it was um it was memorable man i'm i'm glad we got yeah. to play it and just you know just being a part of it like they thought of us to go hey celebrate 30th 30, 30 years with us and you know, just the whole vibe. You know, yeah. the whole vibe, and and there yeah. weren't, and, and while there were all those get dozens
0: and dozens of guests, there weren't many opening bands, right? It was Apocalyptica, Death Angel, uh
1: Armored Saint, with One Night, Apocalyptica, and man, um, finally
0: seeing John Bush singing Kill 'Em All era songs.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, he crushes it, was, it,
0: dude. He crushes it.
1: It it was it was uh it was I think Last Rocket maybe I'm not sure, but um. Yeah, it was just locals and they had all their, um, all the stuff in between, you know, but the, you know, it was a memorable moment and they held it at the Fillmore. I mean, I'm surprised it fan club only. There was people outside from other countries trying to get in. They go, okay. we need to get in. I go, you flew all the way out here. Yeah, we want to get in like insane, Yeah, you know, so that was probably one of the most memorable shows of my career was playing with Metallica at the Fillmore for their fan club and Having to witness all these guests going up there and playing, you know,
0: I wasn't surprised then at the fortieth that they didn't have any guests because it was totally. like how do you
2: how,
0: <laughs> like how do you do that you can't do that again, you can't top it, yeah, you know, so I
1: think um, what I liked about it is you know, they didn't repeat a song. It was cool it was at the chase Center. it was awesome I'm, I'm' like I said, I'm glad I saw it, but it was like I think I've seen what I' need to see. It's interesting from this band or I'm pretty sure like I mean I do love the new song Lux Eterna I do love that one it's awesome but you know if they ever came around the town I'm all right. even if someone goes dude I got you on the list I'm good wow
0: that's interesting I respect it it's interesting and that show that you saw I think it was the second night there was uh, they played a reload song for the first time ever Uh, Fixer
1: Fixer yep yeah. And they played Dirty Window from St. Anger. Yeah.
0: yeah. It was yeah, it was there were some yeah, I, I was up for I, I got to go to both shows and then I went to the wedding band show that was the night in between the two shows. Oh
1: yeah, I, I was at that one too.
0: Oh dude, how killer was that? And
1: you know again, what?
0: talk about like the fact that Kirk and Rob were exactly. able to do those Metallica sets and do that wedding band set which went till like two in the morning or whatever and was just a million songs. Like
1: I, I have I have respect for both of them to do like okay we're going to do two and a half hours of metallica and with production yeah. you know and yeah. you know there's a lot of work that goes into that with if there's pyro like there's cues here we got to do this right. we got to do that, right. that that then right after we play we got to go to the Fillmore and play another two and a half hours of covers or whatever mad respect for you know that's that's what you call a working musician man
0: yeah <laughs> exactly those are people that just that want to just play that's... and
1: you know what it seems like they're into it like you know let's do this and you know come on man who who throws metallica weekend in san francisco they took over san francisco yeah.
0: well and now that and, and supposedly this tour that's coming up this year that's what they're doing everywhere that's why they're doing the friday sunday and they're they're gonna have um ancillary events on the saturdays in, in every town from what I, understand. I
1: see it's amazing how they're always thinking of something new and creative yeah and they're promising no repeats on friday
0: and sunday entirely different sets which is crazy because you because someone you know people that are only that only go to one of the two in their town somebody's going to go to a show and not hear master of puppets or not hear Inner sandman or and that and for you know those of us who've seen them a lot like that's pretty awesome actually
1: (laughs) i think so too you know i mean it's it gets people to go to both shows you know if you're like dude like uh because they didn't play um trapped under ice on the second night they played it the first night i think and i was like oh, i wanted to see that but i didn't go so you know you're shit out of luck yeah <laughs> so, and i think that's good that they're playing different sets because they have enough in their catalog you know they could yeah. do whatever they want and i i highly respect that that's a lot of work too like hey man they're, they're always pushing the boundaries you see a lot of bands and we're all a lot of bands are guilty of it we are too they play the same set because you know it's you know that's what you do but for them, like I said, to be in control and go, no, man, we're gonna do this. We're gonna do that. We're, yeah. we're in control. So if you don't like it, it's on us. It's not like there was a gun pointed to their head by a record label or management. You, you need to do this because it's good for business. I'm like, no, man, we're gonna do it because we want to do it.
2: Yeah,
0: we're gonna and, we're gonna put out a double covers album, and then tour theaters playing only covers, with Metallica tribute bands opening, playing right? only Metallica.
1: Brilliant. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. brilliant. Like, that's taking a chance, yeah. You know, like yeah. most people go, No, but they do it, man. It's amazing. So, you know, I, I could never, never hate on them. I may not agree with what they do, but I will never hate on them whatsoever.
0: Never, ever, ever, yeah. And I saw them most recently, just last month, at the All Within My Hands show in LA. And yeah, they played Lux Turner for the first time live. They did a couple of covers that were new. They do. They have this version of the song all within my hands because you know they've been playing it uh, acoustically since you know 2007 or something. Yeah. And now they have this new interpretation where it's like there's the album version that gets turned into the acoustic version, and now the acoustic version gets turned into an electric version. So it's not quite the album version, but it's also not acoustic it's kind of hard to explain but they did that for the first time and it's just like yeah they were and it's funny james even made a joke um when he was introducing it where he was like you might say like write new songs but uh anyway here's what we did with this old song or whatever Um, yeah
1: you know taking chances on their old songs you know and they're they're not one of these bands where when they released like when they released death magnetic they went out and played a lot of songs from death magnetic they did
0: yeah, and same like, with Hardwired.
1: Same with Hardwired. And, you know, they're, they're not like, I'm not going to mention bands, but, you know, like we released one album with a, one song and they'd play that one song and they rely on the hits. Yeah. You know. And then when uh, the
0: next album comes out, that one song has been rotated out for
1: one song from
0: that next album.
1: Yeah. So, but, you know, they play, like it caught me off guard when I heard Dirty Window from St. Anger. I go, whoa, This is whoa. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I was hoping for Invisible Kid, but uh, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it yeah which you know but they take chances man you know like i said you know everything they do and look all within my hands metallica scholar ridiculous and the the Met club you know dude um oh man it's just you know the fan cans and the the so what magazines i love it because there's stuff in there you're like whoa stuff you don't yeah. see i've
0: got my, i've got my bind there was a point where you could buy a binder to store your So What's in. I,
1: you know what? I got a binder. Check this out. A, a good friend of ours from the band, big Death Angel fan. She was in the Met Club. Uh, Crystal Kenzo is her name. I got to give a shout out to her. Um, She gave me a binder with a lot of So What magazines and I had Stefan Shirazi sign the binder.
0: Oh, sick. <laughs> That's a great idea.
1: I was like, no, I, you know, Stefan Shirazi. I saw him. I go, dude, you got to sign this binder. And he goes, what? I go, I like your journalism, man. Yeah. And I, it and I kept it. And he he has, he's built such a rapport with them over
0: the years that obviously they're extremely comfortable talking to him. And you get those kind of long, unedited, because it was their own magazine. So it's like, you know, you could just do like, you know, a 10 page QA with one of the guys about Yeah.
1: yeah when you, when subject. you build that trust, like you said, you, yeah. you get comfortable. And yeah, I guess, you know, I've talked to Stefan about it. He goes, some, you just got to know when to go in and when to go out. Yeah. yeah, sometimes you you got to give them space and they know the deal, you know. And yeah. Think- and, and
0: even after you have the conversation, I imagine you, st- you still have to kind of judge like, OK, what's what's for what's, the public and what was just
1: exactly, us. you know, because sometimes, you know, it's good to get everything out because you can't you can't kind of script that thing. OK, we're going to talk about it, Just talk and let it all out. And I, I'm pretty sure Stefan knows what to edit out. You know, what I mean, yeah. Stuff that's in So What Magazine is great. It's okay. great.
0: You know what yeah. I mean and it's great to it's great to have those the analog versions of those still
1: and I understand what they did
0: when they opened it up with the fifth member thing uh but I also can understand you know some of the people in the different chapters and stuff
1: being yeah like, like it, you know that that Met Club is like special like I'm a part of it no one is and you know I get to see the meet and greet I get to be in the snake pit I get to you know do this and that and speaking of taking risks you know they did their own Festival Orion it, it I heard it flop, but the fact that they tried it two,
0: awesome. two years in a row and they, yeah. and they, and they put all their own money behind it and they put all their mo- own money into
1: through the never the movie and
0: through the never the movie. And I was the second year of Orion. I was managing uh, the band Dillinger escape plan and the band from the Bay Area all Parish at the time. And both bands on the festival, kirk came out and introduced all Show Parish and rob introduced dillinger and i have to say as someone who's attended a lot of festivals and has worked with bands on festivals it was and i'm not just saying this because it's metallica it was so well organized so well run the bands were taking su- such great care of i mean it was a top tier it was like playing coachella or something you know yeah and for a <laughs> second year festival like clearly they were spending more than yeah. they were making to make it a great experience for their fans and for all the bands that they picked to to be
1: there. You see what I mean? How they just said, "Let's you know, let's try it. If we lose, yeah. we lose. If not, you know, we gave it the good old college try." You know, where most people, you know, most businesses are afraid to take risks sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, but they did, and that's why they are who why they are who they are.
2: Yeah, I mean, and the
1: idea that they will take those and and
0: still um, you know they'll spend money to make money and they'll leave money exactly. on the table and they'll say no to things and they'll you know it's
1: awesome so um let me ask you something i sure. you discovered megadeth first
0: yeah that was my entry point what album peace sells uh, that, was, that was how i got into metal i i had i had been into you know my older brother had shown me adamant and uh, a lot of new like i my the first music i really loved was billy idol adamant adam and the ants generation x as a very young kid and uh i'd heard the sex pistols and you know the like punk stuff that was happening i was very little and yeah the the metal story is pretty funny because it was a, a friend of mine who was into hair metal and he bought p cells on cassette thinking that it was a hair metal band and he had seen like the band photo, the Peace era photo, is a little like glam yeah. for, for a thrash band, yeah. And put it in and was just like, what is this unlistenable, horrendous garbage? And gave it to me just to get rid of it. Like you got to hear this. Like this is the worst thing I've ever heard. Of. Um, and it was like a is one of those life moments I can vividly remember putting it in my little jam box in my bedroom and it coming on and it blowing my mind and changing my life like just Mm. like i i don't know what this is i don't know who they are this is the coolest angriest craziest fastest scariest it was just everything you know just like blew blew my mind open and then uh the local newsstand that was walking distance from my house south side news i saw a magazine it was uh cream presents thrash metal issue number one and it was Mustaine on the cover and i recognized like that's the guy from that tape that's dave Mustaine from mega and so Mm -hmm. i bought it and in that magazine was an article called the 20 greatest thrash metal albums of all time and the funny thing about it is this was like 86 or 87 yeah although those 20 probably haven't changed much but it was like on the list were um rain and blood hella Awaits. Ride the Lightning, Master Puppets, Puppets, uh, Creator, Terrible Certainty. Uh, one of the Celtic Frost records was on there. It was a pretty amazing list. And because I loved that Megadeth record so much, I made it my mission to take my allowance and my lunch money and spend the next several months getting every record on that list.
1: I remember hearing that was your, your album because I saw that tour, actually. It was... Um... I snuck out of the house for it. It was in 19, November of 86. Chromags, I think Age of Coral. Megadeth, P Cells, Motorhead, Orgasmatron.
0: That was probably Chromags with with John and Harley.
1: I think so. But it was that in 86. I saw Orgasmatron tour, Megadeth, P Cells. And they came out. I was like, whoa. Megadeth was awesome. Motorhead was killer. They had the big Orgasmatron, whatever. But something about Megadeth, they came out. And they were just like... Cause they were in the Bay Area, you know. what I mean, it was like people came out for Megadeth,
0: yeah, yeah. It was I crazy. went, I, I my very first concert that I went to that wasn't a parent taking me, that was just me and my friends, was Dio Megadeth and Sabotage. And it was on the neck, it was on so, so Far, so it was right before So Far came out, I think, but it was on that record, wow. And uh, I went with a couple metal dudes I knew who liked Dio, I didn't you know i saw dio after that and of course i yeah. love dio or whatever but at the time i was so i went straight into thrash metal so anything that was hard rock or whatever i just didn't didn't connect with me so i didn't care about seeing dio sabotage canceled the show in indianapolis for some reason and so it was just dio and megadeth and i uh, still that's one of the sh- few shirts that i still own from back in the day i still have the megadeth shirt that i bought at that show and then i saw them uh that was in 88 and then i saw them later in 88 headlining same place where i saw death angel it was megadeth warlock and sanctuary wow and a, warlock <laughs> dude, killer show and by the way i don't know how it happened and I'm, this is definitely a weird brag but doro from warlock and i follow each other on instagram oh nice she started following me and i was like "What? i don't know why or how but um she likes my posts sometimes i also I like hers but yeah it's one of those And, you know, World Dane, rest in peace, got to be a good friend over the years. Yeah. But, yeah, that was a very seminal show for me. Megadeth Warlock and Sanctuary. And I also saw Motorhead in 88. uh, Slayer, Motorhead, and Overkill. Wow. It was Slayer on South of Heaven. And uh,
1: I saw Slayer South of Heaven with Judas Priest. Oh, wow. Yeah. The Cow Palace. And Judas Priest was smart. They came out, you know, I think they were on Defenders, I believe. Or some either. I think this would be before... Yeah, that was after York Defenders. Yeah. yeah. But Judas, yeah. you know, they knew Slayer. Slayer opened up at South of Heaven. I mean, the crowd went nuts. Judas Priest was smart. They came out with Electric Eye. They didn't no. come
0: out with Turbo. <laughs> no.
1: They yeah. go, no if we, we, our opening set's got to be killer. <laughs> yeah. Our opening's got to be, you can't go after Slayer and come out with, you know, Turbo yeah. stuff. You got to yeah. come out pretty sick.
0: Oh, so, that's, that's so amazing. Yeah, that Slayer, Motorhead, and Overkill was was amazing. And you know what? I remember that tour and some other leg, I think, was Slayer, Motorhead, and Chromax. I feel like that's a flyer I saw. Wow. But it was but it was it was Overkill and in Indy. Um and they were awesome. And Motorhead was awesome, obviously. But yeah, I was there for Slayer.
1: And back then everyone was there for Slayer. By
0: the way, same venue that I saw Death Angel in wow that it was that was there was really only one venue for those shows it was called the arlington and then at another point it was called the ritz it's now an ace hardware store (laughs) interesting (laughs) but uh but yeah it was one of those like old you know old-timey movie theaters that was turned into a venue and uh i don't know what the cap was there if i had to guess now looking back it was maybe 2000 maybe 1500 wow um but that's where death angel play you know and and the smaller tier thrash bands would still headline there. They obviously didn't pack it, but they would play there. I saw Sacred Reich and Atrophy there, uh D R I and Holy Terror. Um, yeah, like every every show that I saw from like eighty seven to eighty nine ninety was at that place. Until I, until I discovered real local shows in like yeah. backyards and
1: but you know <laughs> what like, like I said, Telp, you know, I've done interviews where people go, Do you tell us about the eighties? I go it was a great time. I'm glad I lived it. It's never happening again. Nope. Never. You know, nope. I have the albums. I have my memories. I made some friends. It's all about today and moving forward. You can't really live there. You 100%. know, like you mentioned earlier, like people want to change, but they don't want that to change. You know, yeah. I get that, but you know. Mars loved Oasis in the 90s. Guess what? So did I. <laughs> I did too. You know? <laughs> yeah. but, you, know, you know, I've been listening to that came out in the 90s where I think it's still relevant and I think he's a badass. It's Dave Grohl, and the Foo Fighters. I think he's a badass dude. He's like
0: I realized recently. He's kind of like the Forrest Gump of rock, in that he, you know, Forrest Gump is like in oh there he is with JFK and yeah, know, there he is with Elvis and Nixon. Like, cause he's so it's like between Scream, and obviously Nirvana, obviously Foo Fighters, but you know the Probot record he did. Yeah, I got to it was really cool, really cool day at the office, so to speak. I got to spend the day on the set of uh, the Probot music video that Dave Grohl did.
1: With with Lemmy.
0: It was Lemmy and Wino from Saint wow. Vitus, and uh, it was them on a rotating stage in a little tiny, um, you know, little tiny sound stage in Hollywood and uh the concept of the video was them playing on a rotating stage with suicide girls all around them
1: that's right i saw that video
0: i just spent the whole day there and um interviewed i was there for mtv so yeah didn't interview lemmy or wino interviewed dave but he was you know he was super cool and and i got to talk to wino and, and talk to lemmy and the absolute coolest thing that happened that day and i wish i still had it i was just telling somebody this the other day uh I got Lemmy to leave my outgoing voicemail. Really? That was my voicemail on my phone for years and years and years and years.
1: That's awesome, dude. So,
0: somewhere changing phones and phone companies or whatever. I lost it. But um, Yeah, and he said uh, he said, hello Brian can't come to the phone right now uh, because he's in the bath with an alligator. So <laughs> leave a message on his si- shiny silver little phone or fuck off. And uh, I used to I used to call because he never says it's Lemmy. Yeah. So I used I used to call it the personality test because I would because I would get one of three messages. I would get someone leaving a message going, "Dude, you have Ozzy on your phone. That's amazing." This was like around the height of the Osborns, Yeah. Or I would get people that leave a message are like, "Fucking Lemmy, yeah." Or the third tier of people, which would be like, "Dude, I tried to call the number you gave me, but I got some like weird dude's phone. It wasn't you?" <laughs> So it was the it was always the personality test. It's like who's gonna immediately know that's Lemmy, who's gonna think it's Ozzy? and who's gonna be totally lost. But yeah, it was that was that was a great day at the office, so to speak. It,
1: you know, both of us. You probably a bit more traveling. You, we live good lives. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't take it for granted. Um, am I rich? No, but I'm rich in knowledge and friends and you know experience. So. I look at it that way. I mean, money comes and goes, but no one could take away these experiences from you.
0: No, and the and the relationships and the friendships and the way that you yeah. know you and I can be social media buddies and then end up hopping on here and it's like oh we're the same age, we're the same you know same generations, like all this you know commonalities and vibes and and that's you know not to get too esoteric, but I, I read an article recently. This is going to sound so especially on a metal podcast, but about the loneliness of men as adults and how a lot of men don't form lasting friendships or bonds and don't make, especially don't make new friendships. You know, the people have like their high school friends and then they yeah. marry, they grow up and whatever. And then there's like this epidemic of loneliness where guys get in their late thirties and in their forties or whatever. And they have like no like dudes in their life. It sounds yeah. so weird, but, our experience because of the music we love the art we're into the what we've chosen to do for a living for ourselves. Like that, thankfully is foreign to us. We're constantly surrounded by like-minded people, peers, friends, contemporaries that um, understand us and that we vibe with and whatever through this stupid shit we love you know and th- and, th- and those are communities with horror fans comic fans dungeons and dragons people whatever people that are into these different subcultures like we get to have that
1: through yeah the- i think it, 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 it's a great thing you know what i mean it it, it kind of like helped me, you know it changed my life saved my life and it, it just bettered my life at the same time yeah you know getting you know I've talked about this with my niece and nephews. They they asked me why you like it. I go, the music speaks to me for one. And um, it's just hard to explain. I took my nephew out on a couple of tours because he did our last two music videos. He's a videographer. I go, come out on the road and capture some stuff with us. And he just realized, man, all the metalheads are super cool, man. Like, yeah. Oh, so yeah, dude. We, we let out all our aggressions on stage. You know what I mean? It, through the music. But he realized how everyone's just... They like football too. Yeah, dude. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
2: yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Dude, sports is a big thing next to music, you know. So it, it's just it's funny because it's the only genre I know where people love buying tangible stuff. I gotta buy that shirt. I gotta buy that record. I gotta buy this cassette. That patch, you know. I don't think I gotta can... buy
0: that record for a fifth time because now it's got this B side. No, no, no.
1: I gotta buy that record because my record before had the misprint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I spelt his name wrong, so I got to get, you know, <laughs> or a special bonus where, you know, it, it's there's people out there who still buy the tangible shit, not as much as many years ago, but you get those diehards who, mm-hmm. great, you know, instead of them going to the record store, you just change it up and go, you got to sell it at your shows, like your vinyl, you know, well, yeah. you, pe- people don't have time to go to record store, but if they're at the show, that's your record store, basically, is at mm-hmm. the show so i mean it's a I'm, I'm metal music and rock music it's uh i'm glad it's in my life and i'm glad it's it, it brought me to meeting you getting to play death angel meeting a lot of people you know me and will still freak out like you know we're going on tour with creator and sepultura and you know, yeah. we saw i i saw yeah you was, are <laughs> dude mean will I and
0: by the that. way what a oh. killer tour name the way that they work the k and the s into the totally i was one of, i mean because yeah, I I get annoyed a lot of times with the ad mat wars and what I call logo soup, yeah. and that I really appreciate a really well put together poster that actually serves the bands. And i remember as soon as I saw that announced, I was like, "That's a fucking killer poster." <laughs> it is, man.
1: You know, I mean, uh, me and Will have a different perspective. You know, we're both in Death Angel. I mean, Rob and Mark's been Death Angel since the '80s. But you know, um, you know, I've talked about this. I wonder, like, I always wonder, like, when you guys were on tour with these bands like the creators, the forbiddens, the violence, you know, they probably, I'm sure there was like healthy competition. There was probably course, rivalries. Yeah. no one, uh, you know, you know what I mean? Where well, me and Will looked at it from a fan's perspective. We were like growing up, dude, you know, like I, you know, talking to Phil Demo, I go, dude, I, I remember seeing violence when you guys supported Death Angel in 87. You know, you only had the demo tape or, you know, or yeah, yeah. Turtle Nightmare didn't even come out yet. So, those memories stick to me like i see creator then when i see Mila and Ventor, i go dude how come you don't play under the guillotine from pleasure to kill you know yeah little things like you know seeing sepultura and i told andrea's like i saw you guys it was like close to new year's eve it was ministry helmet sepultura you know i saw all the shows and you know i'm a fan we're fans yeah so you know i i get to fanboy out but in a different way like exactly when I watch them play live and, you know, you hear stuff like Arise, it brings you back to that. Oh, dude, I saw the Arise tour of the New Titans on the Block tour. Was it the Sepultura, Sakurai, Napalm Death, Sick of It All? You know, it brings me back to that time. So I get excited when I get to see bands or play with these bands. And, you know, I might bring my vinyl for them to sign. Like First pressing, bro, could you sign it? <laughs>
0: yeah, dude. And it's so it's so I mean, we, it's sort of like you get the Newstead experience in a way.
1: I do. I do. And, and and it's great. You know, I, I that's why I said, I, as I'm older now, post COVID, I don't take things for granted. I wake up every day. I'm all right. And everything else in front of me, you know, you tackle it as it comes, you know, I'm happy. I got a happy life. And, you know, of course you have your days, but Hey man, life's too short. You know, our heroes are falling, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you got to just, you know, Just try to be as, try to have fun, try to be as good as you can to other people. And, you know, little things like road rage used to piss me off. Now I'm like, yeah, go ahead. If you're in a hurry, go ahead, bro.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. You win. (laughs) Yeah, you win. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Little things like that, you know, things like that don't trip me up before it used to. Like now when I listen to music and if I'm not into that band, I'll I'll try to find something that I like about it. Mm. Oh man, the guitar player is pretty badass. You know, yeah, great drum yeah. tone on this album.
0: Great whatever. drum yeah. tone. Look at
1: that guitar tone; that's that's great. Or man, that dude could sing, or whatever. Or oh, that was a cool uh, key change in that song or mm-hmm. something. But I won't say music sucks because you know you may not be into it. Somebody might be passionate about it, so yeah. And I know how yeah I know how it feels to be passionate about it. So and you don't want people to talk down on your music. It's something
0: I, mean, I I enjoy in the film criticism world is that you know it's important to remember with very 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 few exceptions no one sets out to make a bad movie no you know, it's like all these hundreds of people involved in making a movie all want it to be the best thing ever made
2: yeah. and
0: some whatever goes wrong whatever whatever wherever the you know weak link in the chain is uh, no one wanted it to be bad <laughs> so it's like i try to keep that in mind you know and, and i'm a big anything. movie buff
1: too and i know looking at your resume you've interviewed a lot of actors which is awesome you know what I mean? I, I I like movies. It's like music. You know, some you know to me it's like no one makes bad movies. You may not be into it, and sometimes I look at it as like, well, it's not the actor's fault. Maybe it's the writer, and maybe the right. actor's trying to feel it, and he's doing his best, and they're trying to capture the best moment in time. And it's you know, it's probably one of those like, there's a saying in our in our band, Mark and Will comes up with, everyone has their everyone has a Cold Lake album. If you get what I'm saying, yeah, (laughs) yeah, right. No one, yeah, not me. I
0: vividly remember my friend and I buying Cold Lake on release day, and even just before, even still, you know, buying cassettes before even getting back home and putting the tape in, opening it, and seeing the pictures inside, horrified. Yeah.
1: So you know, everyone has their Cold Lake. Hey, you know, Cold Lake's I mean, got a couple of riffs. Go back and it's like, you no, know, Will Carroll, Carry Orchards. Uh, okay, eh, whatever. You know, he's a big Celtic Frost fan, and he loves that record. You know what I mean? Amazing. He does. Somebody has to. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I mean. You yeah. may not be into it, but someone might be passionate about it. Like yeah. it speaks to them. So that's how I look at music. If I'm this, someone tells me check out this band, I'll listen to it because they said it's a good record, and, and I'll give it a chance. If I go, it's all right. You know. Maybe a few listens more, but you know nothing sucks. I mean, I wouldn't say nothing sucks, but I'm I just view music a lot differently I got older. Now, getting back to Metallica, like I said, some of their stuff I may not agree with, but I respect it. I'm like, all right, man, there's some good stuff in there. They were writing for that moment in time. They were capturing a moment in time.
0: And I learned through this podcast continuously. You know, it's such a treat to have someone like yourself on who discovered the band at, at Kill 'Em All. Uh, you know, and, and Donald Tardy, who was just on, he also discovered them at Kill 'Em All. But I'm I'm regularly surprised generationally. You know, when I have folks on who are like, "Load" was their first Metallica record, or saying Anger was their first Metallica yeah. record. You know, um, Spencer from Ice Nine Kills, who's a, a good friend of mine, and they've they've gotten to open for Metallica a couple times now, and they're about to go on tour with them. Uh, the first time he saw them live and he's a big fan first time he saw them live was on reload wow and you know to him it's not no one's telling you when you're his age and you're seeing them in that era no one's like hey by the way this isn't the cool era
2: yeah you missed yeah. that
0: you know it's pretty fucking awesome for you and and I will argue I'll make a huge recommendation to anyone listening to this to look up Metallica on YouTube there's pro shot footage of uh Woodstock 99 on touchable and this is 99 it's post load post reload post s uh you know short haircuts you know going go down the list and uh they are fucking on fire they are so good oh, i mean dude. just all four of them are just peak performance destroying and uh 1999 yeah but i'm regularly it's it's it speaks to their significance that there are folks who come in at it's so many different points i mean look i to me the misfits were a band that broke up in 1983 yeah and then you know in recent years have been doing some shows and uh it's not to say that i begrudge jerry only or doyle or whatever what they did in the 90s it's a whole do a whole podcast about it but i have had experiences you know where um you know people i know and love and respect were like michael graves misfits was their misfits
2: I
1: I totally get that. They were
0: sixteen and American Psycho was brand new and they were going to the shows and whatever. And you know, that's the time, place, and circumstance thing. And yeah, who am I to say, like, you know, you're not as cool as me because you don't you know, fucking cares, dude?
1: It's um the I I grew up late seventies, early eighties. I grew up in the thrash scene, I was fortunate to grow up in that era. But I just don't only listen to that era.
2: Right. You right. Get what I
1: mean, there's good music out there. And you know, I've known people like you get those metal elitists I've run into, man. They were better when they had their demo.
0: Like right, right. Uh, That's the eternal cool guy.
2: Yeah. And how That's much
0: true. and how much are you missing in life because of that? I mean, and to put it on the movie thing, there are adults now, like a like a generation now, where the Star Wars prequels that's their star wars
2: yeah you know
0: it's like that was they were kids you know and their parents were like we're going to take you to star wars and it was attack on the clones or whatever you know and it's like yeah
1: i get it great you know know, good for them (laughs) you know there's there's some there's some uh kids adults whatever where you know they get into say uh the new you know the new the thrash stuff like for example newer death angel but they go back and listen to the old and they love it and that's awesome Some yeah. people go oh it's too herky-jerky you know what i mean or something i totally get that you you have to understand like that was you know it wasn't your era you grew up in it's just like some people didn't like 70s rock you know they like the yeah. 90s they go oh man that's like my dad's music or something i totally yeah. get that yeah. or where you know some people may not like zeppelin but they like greta van fleet you know? I knew
0: people that were that got their metal that they got into being you know 10 15 years younger than us. Their metal they got into was black metal, and then when yeah. you show them thrash, it sounds silly to them because it's yeah, instead of like literally just that one nuance, you know, they're yeah. like goofy, like drumming like a d beat to them is like goofy. So that, so
1: I, you know, putting that in consideration, that's why I look at music differently. Yeah, you know I mean, I'm like. Mm. Okay, might speak to somebody, you know, whatever, you know. But I still like my thrash. Don't get me wrong. And you know, people go, man, you guys gotta, guys should have production like the '80s. Like, dude, (laughs) you you don't want to recreate that because you in the '80s. You know, I did some demos, but you know, talking, I've talked to Rob and Mark about this. It was, it was just a time we were a different band. Yeah, we were a different mindset and the equipment that we have and the studios that we had, that's what we had. They go, people go, you should record on tape. Well, that's all you could do on back then. If right. record on tape. Now you have, you know, as you're older with technology, the budgets being cut, you know, you pro tools is the way to do it. And Hey man, as long as you get the music across, that's good. But you know, some people do hold on to that moment. I get it, but you know, it's a
0: real grass is always greener because when those yeah. classic records were being made and when you think about somebody sitting there with an X-Acto knife editing drums on Androsis for All, like I'm sure whoever was doing that would love to have modern technology oh, <laughs> at the time. Totally. You know what I mean? Like it's just like we well, all were everyone was just working the best they could <laughs> with what they had, you know? Yeah,
1: so, you know, but like I said, it all boils down to just enjoy now, man, because the heroes you're making fun of now may not be around anymore. You know, I mean, it's funny, especially on certain sites. I won't mention sites where they they do talk a lot of crap. Then a year later, a person passes and now they're hailing, you know, praising. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, if you got nothing nice to say, don't say it at all. You know, so I'm enjoying, you know. I'm I'm enjoying the new Metallica. You know, I'm I'm gonna enjoy whatever band I like, whatever they come up with. I'm gonna support it. I'm gonna check it out. If I'm not into it, you know, hey, I'm not into mm-hmm. it, but I'll support it because yeah. you got to support the industry that you're in. You, you know, you got to make the money go around, basically. Like you support them, they support you. Whatever. You just got to keep it alive. Mm-hmm. How else are you gonna survive? Yeah, and I think the more the
0: the less cynical we are, the more that we remind ourselves, you know, whoever made this record set out to make a killer record exactly like if it didn't happen there's numerous reasons why they may not have gotten there but to always remember kind of the and to me it's that it's always about intention the art that i don't connect with is when the intention is the only And influences i love influences i love when people take their influences different ones combine them make the thing but when something is made solely with the intention to copy something else and succeed with it, I don't connect to it. You know, okay. that's why I never connected to like a Limp biscuit or, a, you know, the stuff that was like um, corny like that, no, pun intended. But the stuff that was just sort of, you know, it's like when you saw and heard corn for the first time, you were like, whether you liked it or not, you were like, these guys mean it. You know, there was no doubting that like this is a sincere and there's intention and they're up there because they have to be. And then when you heard the next five bands that sounded like Korn, you were like, oh, well, these bands just sound like that because of that other band.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and okay. You know, they just want to be famous or whatever. And even that, cool, good for you. But, but to me, if the intention's there, if it's authentic, if it's honest, mm-hmm. if there's an effort, um, I don't want to dismiss anybody's art in yeah. any medium.
1: But yeah. I agree with you, like in the 80s, for example, I always use that example. Like Metallica was a big influence on bands. You heard their influence. You heard they had, in their music, you heard Metallica influence, but they didn't sound like Metallica. Yeah. You get what I mean? Yeah. From the Sacred Rites to the Atrophies or, you know, Testaments and all that. You hear the influence, but mm-hmm. they had their own sound. They had their own, you know, uh, voice. okay yeah. Even with pop, you know, like Madonna came out you didn't hear the next person try to be Madonna or whatever, you know, you, they just wanted their own sound. They were influenced and inspired by these artists, but you know, they went out and let's create our own thing nowadays with bands. I, I, when I try to discover new bands, it's hard because like you said, people kind of like, it sounds like a copy and paste. Yeah. It's, you yeah. know, it's like same producer, same plugins. Like we want to sound like this. We want to sound like that, and, you know, every, you know, I miss that, but I get it. We're in this era. And, and, you know, people, I was talking about this with a, somebody, people are so used to everything being so perfect in an album, everything. Yeah. So like, it's gotta be the exact, there's no push and pull or bit off the grid here and there that gives it that human feel. And I do get that. We're in an era where technology gives you that. Allows
0: you that. Yeah.
1: Allows you that. Where are
0: and then you also think, well, if I'm the one that doesn't do that, everyone's standard is they yeah. don't even realize they're hearing something perfect. So they're going to notice this is imperfect. And yeah, it's. Like,
1: and people expect you to sound like that live. Right. You know, right. Where back then you, you hear the album, it's a bit yeah. perfect. You know, it's like a lot of push and pull, a little, I would say a little sloppiness, but you could hear the band playing that when you see it live, it's like, all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds live. Yeah. But. That's just me. You know, yeah, and,
0: and that gets into a whole other th- com- probably conversation for another time. But you know, yeah. tracks and stuff like that. Uh, I, I think people don't understand that you can be every. You know, your singer's singing and your band is playing, but you know, if you have a, uh, some synth parts or some orchestration or something, you're not bringing an orchestra. No. Like it's okay to. I look at it like CGI, where it's like I prefer practical effects, and I think if CGI is there and I don't really notice it, yeah, there is an enhancement. Great. That doesn't mean I'm. I love like a movie that's looks like a video game.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I get what you're saying. I mean, the yeah, closest yeah. thing would be. I mean, movies could be a whole nother topic. I could talk movies with you. I, yeah, I, I'm into no movies shit. from 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 a uh, rom com all the way to sci fi. Yeah, same. Know, I, I like it. You know, I you know, I don't know more of the. Don't get me wrong. I but I, I was just watching it the other night, and I told my wife I was like, I, I love John Wick. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, i mean it's far-fetched but it's done right yeah you know what i mean totally. it's done. i mean i'd rather watch a john wick film than ah, it's crazy i might say this than a star wars film i do love star wars but just something about that john wick where it's like i'm gonna kill you <laughs> something about it but then again i also like you know movies like The Notebook. I think it's one of you know. I love The Notebook, dude. I went yeah. to a
0: press screening of The Notebook.
1: And, did you meet Rachel uh, McAdams, Steve? Uh,
0: no, it was. Uh, well, actually, I did. I, um, in uh, interview setting, but not not at that screening. But I went. But it was a screening. It was in a very small screening room, and it was just press. And my girlfriend at the time was with me, and the uh, the. Um, publicists handed out little packages of kleenex to everyone in the audience really i was like oh that's cute you know i just thought it seemed like a funny little gimmicky publicist thing to do and then there's Mm -hmm. a point in the movie where you hear everyone's like opening their kleenexes because everyone's crying it's like oh wow that was that was pretty uh that was excellent force this is some publicists who've screened this movie a few times already they knew
1: See those love story movies. I know we're getting off topic here, but you know you'll probably edit all this.
0: Um, Lars loves them. Lars is a big film guy.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, these like love story movies. It's like The Notebook to me. It's like my mom's like how my mom liked Summer in Time with Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour. I don't know if you remember that movie. That's their era. This is my, you know. But I like that, and you know, every every Christmas, me and my wife Trisha, we'd watch The Holiday. That's like the Jack Black, Kate Winslet, uh, Cameron Diaz, and uh, Jude Law.
0: I don't think I've I don't think I've seen that actually. I, seen I can I can picture the poster and stuff. I don't think i ever saw yeah, it. Yeah,
1: you got to see man. it. You know, you know. But yeah, dude, I'd love to talk to you about nothing but film, movies, with yeah, actors, and the production and all that. Just so you know, I was an extra in one, one
0: movie, movie. or one the video, <laughs> uh,
1: one movie. One movie. <laughs> oh, sorry i was too young to be an extra yeah. i was in the uh, the dirt oh no way <laughs> i was in the party house uh, you'll see me it's like two seconds
0: is the is, and that's like that's like the opening scene right yeah party house yeah I mean, the opening scene yeah
1: i was in it for like two seconds chopping cocaine dude that's killer yeah. was
0: the was the cocaine b12 B12? I've heard they use I've heard they use B crushed up B12. Yeah, if and I can Minnesota. remember.
1: Yeah, and we were smoking cigarettes, but they were like not cigarettes. They were like flour or something rolled up, and you know it supposedly doesn't smell. But you know what? I didn't get, you know when the scene started to go hey, here, smoke some cigarettes, fake cigarettes. I pulled out a real one, <laughs> <laughs> and I did. And who you know who was an extra on there with me was Pepper Keenan.
0: No shit
1: speaking of i wanted to bring this up you'll probably edit back in the load reload era i think they were trying so hard to be coc
0: big coc influence and big allison jane's influence i think coc Well, and you know uh until it sleeps the working title for that was fobd which stood for fell on black days because kurt Uh, was trying to write a sound garden he saw as I understand it. And that was the working title.
1: Wow. Uh-huh. I mean, dude, when you yeah. listen to like um uh Albatross or Clean My Wombs from COC. Oh yeah. Right? Come on. And when
0: you and when you see James pushing for Pepper in some kind of monster
1: to be the new bass player. Could you imagine if those two two wrote songs together? Oh dude, it'd be so sick. You know, you know, I interviewed Pepper on my podcast, you know, when he first met him. James, James, they snuck into a Metallica party. No way. Like a listening party. And James goes, hey man, that record was really awesome. I think he was talking about um, was it Blind or something? I
0: think. Probably Blind.
1: Like, Or and when they first changed from like yeah. crossover to. And Pepper said, man, we weren't trying to be you. We were just trying to impress you. You know. And like, then they took him on the tour. I go, how was touring with Metallica? He goes, dude, our job was to make sure these guys don't chant metallica <laughs> <laughs> but he said you know you know he had a good time good guys you know it did well for them um playing in the round was a bit difficult and that's one thing metallica dominates for the past since the black album playing in the round so oh, yeah. any band that i don't care who you are who what band you are what your status is you get on that round you're going to lose <laughs> you're going to lose man yeah. you are going to lose not everyone's comfortable playing in the round like those guys are yeah it's 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 i mean i do it like for the fa- for two reasons like we get to play with metallica you know you know in arena i do it but we'd have a hard time cuz yeah. you're not used to that you're just used to the standard stage when you're in the round like okay drums are over here you, you're just used to the standard drums are behind me guitars front man mm-hmm. and with the round man, no, man. And,
0: and the audience is in front of me and to the sides of me not behind me like you got to walk around to see them
1: you know but this tour it's in the round this new yeah. tour coming up guarantee you I, I mean nothing against pantera they're gonna lose
0: it's gonna be rough well i, I was saw, actually having...
1: i saw machine head and lamb of god when they did the round yeah me too I'm sorry. I'm used to seeing Machine Head in the stage when they have lights, and same with Lamb of God, their whole yeah. deal. It didn't work.
0: It's funny because uh, I'm gonna have Spencer on the podcast pretty soon, and and something him and I, he and I went to the All Within My Hands show together. And Ice and Kills is a very theatrical band. Like they have a whole, you know, they act yeah. out scenes from movies throughout their show, and everything's happening behind that backdrop, like wardrobe changes and. Costumes and characters and bloody knives and axes and whatever and um, yeah, it just occurred to me. He brought it up. Um, He's like, he's like, we got to figure out what we're gonna do. (laughs) Like, their whole show—they've got to change their whole show to play in the round. Exactly.
1: Are you gonna tell Metallica to strike their? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Right. You are setting up. They're not moving nothing. Yeah. Rightfully so. Yeah. When you play in the round. You, you do have to okay. How are we gonna do this? That's gonna be very tricky. You're gonna have to rehearse, find a warehouse, and replicate their stage, and try to do it to to go up there for the first time. All right, we're playing Metallica first time. I'm sure you'll get a sound check, and you get, but that's different, man. I mean, I would be intimidated to play in the round. Like, okay, you're playing with Metallica, but it's in the round. I'll be, all, oh man, man. You know, we better get these wireless like them that can just.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, because you're, you're going to need to wander around everywhere.
1: Yeah. yeah, and your drum, our drum set's not going to be where Lars is in the middle. They're going to have you set up somewhere else. And okay, do we have to get in inner monitors? Are we relying on these monitors? It's, I'm, you know, they dominate. If you any band that plays with them, you're going to lose, man. Sorry, <laughs> you're yeah. going to lose, and yeah. they know that. I think they know that deep down inside. I'm just assuming, but you know.
0: Yeah, it's like Maiden, Slayer. There's those handful of bands where it's like, it's do a great think, opportunity, but
1: good do luck. You think if the big four came back and Metallica goes, all right, we're going to do the big four, but we're going to do it in the round, do you think they'll do it?
0: You know, Mustaine yeah. has said in interviews back when they were doing the big four shows and people are like, are you guys going to do a tour or whatever, whatever. He said a bunch of times in interviews, he's like, I don't want to play in the round. He's like, there's some things we'd have to do differently if it's going to be a tour. And he's like, one of them is I won't play in
1: the round see so mustaine actually
0: he's on record saying he wouldn't have done it
1: so he knows whether he doesn't want to do it for whatever reasons like his vendetta for metallica whatever it's he it's tricky you're gonna have you're gonna have to been doing the round for like at least a while metallica has like since the black album
0: yeah they're very comfortable and familiar and and, and they switched for a while you know i saw him at the rose bowl um few years ago and that was they were back to like a more traditional setup and they had i think the ramp thing but yeah uh, but yeah it'll be it'll be cool to see him in the round again i've seen him in the round but yeah I mean, you're right it, you can't it's a very special unique skill
1: it is you, you'll lose i'm sorry i mean <laughs> they, they could do the round they could do a festival stage they could do a club they could do a, a dive bar they, they mastered it all you know yeah. what i mean yeah. so like, i saw Godsmack on with them on the round i was like no oh, man there's every you could tell people it's a hard it's hard to play in the round you know yeah you where's your backdrop <laughs> where's your you know it's like images your whole stage setup every, every. well not only that not only yeah. is the band gonna be uncomfortable the crew and your sound guy like how do i mix this when wow right i need to go r- around or where's the sound because maybe it sounds good here but it's not sounding good over there dude i, I mean, didn't even hard think for everyone about that. i didn't even think about that it's hard for everyone yeah. i think you're yeah. light guy everyone exactly that's <laughs> wow. if you get lights <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so but i'm sure you get taken care they're of they're
0: not gonna them. let you drop a bunch of bouncing balls from the ceiling <laughs> no
1: no but you get what i'm saying yeah um, so It'd be interesting, like, I'll get reports I want to see, or I'll I'll see a footage on YouTube, like, how Five Finger, Death Punch, or Pantera could play in the round, because I've seen footages of them on YouTube. They have a good stage show. Mm-hmm. They get all their stuff. But how are you going to do it? You know, yeah. you can't have your full Marshall Stacks or, you know, whatever. I don't know. Yeah. It'll be interesting.
0: Who's the other band? I think we just forgot about it. Ice Nine Five, Five Five Finger, Pantera...
1: Uh, mammoth is on it
0: oh that's right mammoth yes. yeah I but yeah, i wonder how he'll do with that too
1: that's what i'm it, it'll be interesting to see how they do it yeah Crazy. But you know what i don't like i've seen machine head and lamb of god in the round with metallica it didn't come across good to me i like both bands when hmm. i've seen them at festivals yeah i've seen them at their own shows they have their power and all that but something happened when you play in the round like, you're
0: right because yeah, I've seen I saw both of those bands with Metallica too and you're right I mean they were great they're always great but it was um, definitely different and off in a way
2: yeah
1: bit off For like sure. oh, I, I know it's you guys but it doesn't sound like you guys and you're not coming off as you guys so yeah. but I don't know and you know you're not guaranteed playing with Metallica too and like they have a whole different fan base beyond thrash <laughs> yeah 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 beyond Way thrash beyond, yeah. you know it's like you put a band like an extreme band on there maybe their fans may not be into it maybe like maybe less than 1% who are been a fan since the 80s might like it but maybe post black may not You know. yeah and
0: there's also going to be bands that, that are big in their own right that maybe even the audience will like but they're not they don't know them you yeah. know what I mean like i saw avenged do main support for them at that rose bowl show yeah and uh you know it was in california and avenged has platinum records and they definitely they were definitely the audience there was a good portion of the audience who knew them but it's still just it's just it's not their crowd it's a it's Metallica not, show you know
1: it's
0: not they're funny. just also there
1: <laughs> so yeah man Kudos to Metallica. I wish them well. They did 40 years. They're going strong. And, you know, I'll still buy the records. I'll still buy the merch. I'll still read the interviews. And um, right on to that, man. My hat's off to all four of them.
2: I Love it, dude. Well, past I, and, I, and, present
1: I, and past and present members.
2: I, I
0: will have you back. We'll do this again. <laughs> dude, we'll talk more about that. have been
1: talking out. for a bit. I, I'm stoked, man.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. It, it, it I just looked at the clock because an alert went off. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm like, I'm like, has it been an hour? And then I'm like, no, it's been two hours. Oh, it's been more than two. Yeah,
1: <laughs> awesome I'm excited, fun. dude. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it went by I fast. Like,
0: dude, I gotta get on this. Uh, I was it. so happy when you reached out because you've been. I have a running list, and I just yeah. I haven't reached out to anybody in a while. But you were literally on the list.